0: dollars was a- you can't kill damnation, mister. They don't die like a man dies. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to Dead and Married. I'm your host, Ashley.
1: And I'm Travis.
0: And today, we are going to be talking about Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers.
1: Yep, so this is our second Halloween movie to cover, out of, what, five?
0: Yeah, part of our spooktober. Right.
1: So this is actually, we've come up... A notch because this is the eighth worst grossing (laughs) Halloween movie. I guess, if you if you rank them all, this is number eight in the list of box office performance. It actually has outperformed The Curse of Michael Myers, number three, and number five. So from a financial standpoint, it's not considered the worst, necessarily. When it came out, it did rank it number one in the box office for two weekends. And it was actually number one for the weekend that it came out. Not that it had a ton of competition, because it came out on the same weekend as a bunch of movies I've never even heard of before. Like The Accused, Alien Nation, Punchline, Gorillas in the Mist. I, I remember that movie, but I don't I didn't watch it. Interesting thing about 1988, it did have a lot of competition total year, and, and maybe that contributed to its its performance and not being a little higher up on the food chain. So Nightmare on Elm Street 4, the Dream Master. Child's Play and Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood, mm-hmm. all came out the same year. Wow. So, it actually ranked underneath all of those. But it did beat Poltergeist 3, of course.
0: Because
1: <laughs> that movie's kind of crap. It beat They Live. So, interesting that a movie that John Carpenter started but was not a part of, and this was the, I think the first one that he was completely out of it, was it not? Yes. I mean, he's credited because it's based on his idea, but right. I don't think he had anything to do with production or anything like that. But They Live came out and that was that's a John Carpenter. Right. And one this, of my
0: favorite junk carpet I don't know movies. if that was
1: would have been like a slap in the face to him or not. The, the thing that he started and they kind of took away from him, he got beat in the box office.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I know that at this point, he and Deborah Hill basically sold all of their rights to Mustafa Cod. Yeah,
1: well, and we'll, I've got some more information about that, but yeah, it's tough. Which, you know, Rowdy Roddy Piper's never going to win against Michael Myers. Mm, I don't no. think so.
0: he threw Keith David a hurting and I wouldn't want to piss him off.
1: Well... <laughs> uh, it's all and it out also be Hellraiser Two. Hellraiser okay. Two came out this year as well, so it was actually a big year for horror. You also had Beetlejuice and Serpent in the Rainbow that came out the same year. Great movies, so, interesting. But another component to that is that Twins, Die Hard, Rambo Three, and Red Heat also came out. So we were kind of at the height, I guess, of the '80s action movie heroes. So Michael Myers was pitted against Bruce Willis, Sylvester <laughs> Stallone, and Arnold Schwarzenegger.
0: John McClane, Rambo, and The Terminator. Interesting.
1: You're not going to win that one. <laughs> like, Michael's tough, but you're not going to win that one.
0: I'm sorry, but uh, Dutch can beat anybody. It's just my <laughs> personal opinion.
1: <laughs> and if I'm not mistaken, I See, episode one! <laughs> the second Phantasm also came out that year. So, Oh, and I missed one. Bloodsport came out in 1988 as well. Oh, I so he also movie. He also beat out Time Cop. <laughs> Van Damme. <laughs> And his split. what
0: a shitty example to use for Van Damme.
1: Well, let's face it, not Frank all Frank
0: Dukes use Frank Dukes. Not all of
1: his <laughs> movies are gold. I mean, you've seen The Quest, I made you watch it.
0: <laughs> okay, facts, you got me there. It's
1: it's not good. <laughs> so, another interesting thing about this, they filmed the whole movie in Utah. Yeah, which I, I thought at some point you're gonna have a there had to be something filmed, you know. on a stage a sound stage or something Uh but they didn't and this is the they didn't the Myers House is not in this at all right even though it's in Haddonfield so yeah they shot uh, this movie in about 41 days so interesting stuff Um, it was directed by Dwight H. Little so I don't know I'm I'm sure he's done other stuff maybe I just didn't bother to look but or it's possible that I looked and it just wasn't anything I'd ever heard of before
0: Mm -hmm. and it was written by uh, Alan B. McElroy
1: so yes but there are actually three other writers credited there Mm -hmm. So you've got Danny Lipsius, which if you look at his filmography, he's mostly listed as a producer on most things. Larry Ratner and Benjamin Ruffner. And I may be getting those last names wrong, but... I don't know what sort of impact they had on it or if maybe they just contributed ideas or maybe, you know, they were all sort of on the production side and they threw an idea in there and they just wanted a writing credit. I don't know. But Alan B. McElroy is the one that's sort of responsible for the story and the script. Right. Which he wrote in about 11 days. Mm -hmm. So there's been some that say 10, some that say up to 14. But that documentary that we saw, he actually said it was about 11 days. Mm -hmm. So uh, Because he was trying to beat the writer's strike and he did.
0: (laughs) And we'll get into his opinion opinions about how the story went later
1: so interesting thing is that john carpenter actually wrote a treatment for this film that had you know like a, a psychological approach to michael myers where the town of haddonfield you know it went on to to deal with the effects of the first two films and how it had Uh, impacted the town itself and then they rejected it the the producers didn't like it and this is when carpenter left so again this is the very first halloween movie to not have any participation from him at all so true to forms around basically every halloween movie there's writing drama on this one because there's always writing drama and mask drama i think on every halloween movie
0: i swear they could make a documentary just on the mask stuff alone seriously
1: Yeah. yeah so i guess Carpenter and Hill kind of got together, and they had an idea of how they wanted it to go. Golan Globus was originally going to do it, and then they backed out. But at some point, they Mustafa Akkad picked it up again and originally developed what it became.
0: Yeah, I've got my opinions on Mustafa Akkad. I mean, God bless his soul, but... <laughs> oh, I've Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, and from the interviews and stuff that we've watched, it was basically, go don't change anything, go back to number one.
0: Back to basics. Back is what to the could. formula. Yeah.
1: And so that's what we did. And that's, Carpenter and Hill were not all about that. And so this is the actually the one where they sold their rights to the film. Right. Which is sad because it would have been nice to see what they could do. So part of this script that McElroy wrote, they didn't want to, he and the uh, director, Dwight Little, they didn't want to have a lot to do with the earlier stuff. They only wanted to reference the first movie, and they didn't want to get tied up with a lot of questions with Michael and what happened to Dr. Loomis. And allegedly, Alan studied it very, very carefully. So they knew that if they hit any problems, that he would be able to deal with it or he'd catch it. But they didn't, he says, and I quote, I didn't really want to be influenced artistically by anything other than Halloween 19. 78, But as we go through the movie, huge, huge number of callbacks right. to both movies. Right. So I don't understand that.
0: He even stated that at the beginning of the film he wanted to do an insert shot of the explosion at the hospital from part two showing Loomis flying away from the fire to show that he had survived. I actually think they should have done that. But again, they were just trying to they said they were trying not to reference. Part two at all, but if you're going to have the burn makeup, I mean, you're already implying that yes, this is canon.
1: Right. And this is sort of the, I guess, the beginning of the end for the Halloween series until you start getting into remakes because they financially, they may have performed a little bit better, but the story doesn't get better after this. Right. And it's, it's because they can't decide what they want to reference and what they don't. So they had to do something to acknowledge what happened at the end of two, even though they didn't want to be influenced
0: by anything <laughs> other than number I, just, yeah, one. Yeah. And it I don't. Make any sense.
1: So, yeah, they got the burn scars on there, but you'll notice that even then, they had issues with what they looked like.
0: Yeah, we'll get into that as we go along. <laughs> so,
1: th- there's weird shit in this movie.
0: Yeah.
1: Weird shit. So, Etchison, I guess, who, who wrote the, one of the original drafts, he was going to deal through this whole thing with one that he wrote. He did. He talked about an interview with Blumhouse, which is producing at the time that this interview was taken the next Halloween, and they wanted to do one where, like, Haddonfield was totally denying Halloween altogether. They weren't celebrating it. They weren't selling masks. They weren't doing like, any of that part shit. part six. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> and in there what Friday the 13th is that? Where they're like, they're just in denial that any of that ever happened and there's no kids?
0: Uh, basically all of them from the point of part one on, I so, mean, they try to rename the camp several times and yeah, yeah. deny that anything ever happened. Yeah.
1: And uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, they did the same thing. So it makes you wonder.
0: Mm, sort of it was more are you talking about like freddy's dead where there's yeah, basically so. no kids i don't know in those town. movies that well yeah
1: but perhaps yeah, they you shouldn't actually... speak on them then <laughs> well that's why i've got you so they've actually they were gonna have michael come back as like a fucking ghost in that one and I, it would have been interesting maybe okay. it might have been better than what we got i don't know so it just yeah
0: well maybe our stuntman might have moved correctly if he had been a ghost right <laughs>
1: But apparently, even though Etchison was involved and he wrote a first draft, um, he actually lost an arbitration with the Writers Guild over the credits, even though he was technically the first writer on the project. So, always writing drama on Halloween. Mm -hmm. Moving on to the cast, (laughs) it's going to have Donald Pleasance in it again. And I've seen several places where they make a big deal out of it. This is the first one where he appears without Jamie Lee Curtis, but it's only the third movie in that storyline. So I don't know if that's significant or not. It really wasn't to me, but it pops up in all kinds of different places when you look it up. Like that was a big thing. Um, He plays Dr. Sam Loomis again, but the guy has over 240 credits as an actor. He was in The House of Usher, All Quiet on the Western Front, which was a TV movie. He was in Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, and I don't remember that. I know you went through a Beatles phase.
0: I actually haven't seen that film. I didn't know a film of that existed because I have help and um, uh. Long Day's Night and a Magical Mystery Tour but I don't have Sgt. Pepper. Yeah. Interesting. There it is. Okay.
1: But he was also in You Only Live Twice.
0: Of course. The James
1: Bond movie. And Famous was for... he the prototype for...
0: <laughs> Dr. Dr. Evil, Dr. yeah. Evil.
1: so that's why Dr. Evil's cool because I Donald Pleasance did it first. to die. But it also stars Ellie Cornell as Rachel Carruthers. Uh, Lisa Wilcox and Rebecca Schaefer actually both auditioned for that role. It stars Daniel Harris. She plays uh, Jamie Lloyd. Yeah. Who's your, it's, it's weird because she she was like what nine ten years old in this ten movie and old. she's the lead yeah
0: and she i mean she's like a horror national treasure as far as i'm concerned she's not only done horror but she has an extensive list of horror credits and has earned her spot i would say up there with jamie lee curtis i mean i'm probably alone in that opinion but
1: well, i think she's done more horror movies than jamie lee curtis so if you're oh, talking about screen, for sure scream queen cred yeah, yeah. but obviously she was in this one she's in number five she was in both uh, Rob Zombie remakes mm-hmm. she was in Hatchet 2 and 3 she did See No Evil 2 mm-hmm. and the most recent it wasn't Hatchet uh, Victor Crowley right she was in that one so this was actually her film debut Melissa Joan Hart auditioned for that role yeah so I can't imagine Sabrina the Teenage Witch
0: <laughs> absolutely not doing and this. as far as I'm concerned Danielle Harris makes this movie and we'll get in more into her performance as we go
1: she does a fantastic job and her name originally was not going to be Jamie Lloyd. Mm-hmm. It was going to be uh, Britain Lloyd, but they changed it to honor Jamie Lee Curtis because right. she wasn't in the movie. So, Oh, one other film credit for her. She was the voice of uh, one of the characters on the Wild Thornberries. Which one? Debbie. Hmm. The, I don't, older, the I don't, older sister, I believe. I
0: don't know the Wild Thornberries as well as you do. I am yeah, more of a Rugrats well, girl myself. I looked myself. it up,
1: but I didn't write it down. So George P. Wilbur, he's the stuntman that plays Michael Myers. He was actually the second stuntman to play Michael Myers in right. this movie. He's the From what I can find, He's this is the first time Michael Myers was credited as Michael Myers instead of the shape.
0: Right. So. And he shared that role with
1: uh He shared it with uh
0: Is it Tom Morga? Tom Morga. Yeah. And I I already knew him as being one of the stuntmen to play Jason Voorhees as well. So
1: Yeah, he's done he's done them both. Mm-hmm. But it's it's interesting that they cuz Tom Morgan got fired off the set, and we'll, we can talk about that later. But in an interview, he was talking about, you know, what did you do? Because they make it sound like George P. Wilbur did the whole movie. But if right. you, in the interview, and it was showing the scenes that Morgan did, he did about half the movie.
0: Oh, yeah. And that just blew my mind.
1: A lot of people have, you know, talked about discrepancies with how Michael moved in the way he acts in the movies. Because there's two different actors.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Almost split in this movie 50-50. But anyway, we can we can talk about that in a minute. Bo star plays Sheriff Ben Meeker.
0: Bad ass.
1: And he does a good job. <laughs> I, I have no complaints about him.
0: I actually prefer him over Sheriff Brackett. Like, please don't at me for that, but <laughs> <laughs> he's he's so cool.
1: So we've got Kathleen Kinmont, who plays Kelly Meeker, mm-hmm. the sheriff's daughter, and Sasha Jensen, that plays Brady. Mm-hmm. So there's other people in this movie, obviously, but this is actually this is actually a fairly large cast for this movie, so right. we can go through all of them. Again, it was produced by Mustafa Akkad, and he was the executive producer. And And then you got Paul Freeman, who we saw in that interview, and then there's a couple more. Alan Howarth did the music, Mm
0: -hmm. and And he's done that since. Uh, well he started in part one, didn't he? He's, didn't he work done. alongside with John Carpenter?
1: I think so. I'd have to go back and look. But he stopped like at the end of this series. When they get into three makes I don't think he did those. I mean we're not covering those, so I haven't really researched I them.
0: actually think he did part five and six as well.
1: Well that's what I mean though. Okay. After what you considered the originals before right. Rob Zombie got a hold of him. He didn't I don't think he did the music for any of those. But mm-hmm. anyway, so that's really about it. The only thing that I thought was interesting was the special effects. You've got John Carl Beakler. I'm probably saying that name wrong. He worked on hatchet and troll
0: he directed friday the
1: 13th part 7 he did and here's here's what this is the reason i I, usually i don't get into special effects unless it's you know what kbr k and b k and b whatever Unless it's one of those guys, right? Beekler, Foster, John Foster, Patrick Simmons, and uh, Wayne Toth all worked on Nightmare on Elm Street 4, the Dream Master. And then Michael Deek and Wayne Toth both did zombie movies. So they were both did uh, the Halloween 2 that Rob Zombie did, House of a Thousand Corpses, Lords of Salem, stuff like that. So, But most of these guys worked on Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th that were released the same year. So it was a busy year for these guys.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Anyway, so are we ready to get into it?
0: Sure am. You talked long enough. President <laughs> man! To and now it's time for your obligatory spoiler warning. We don't just spoil movies here. They are spoiled rotten. So listen at your own risk or turn back now. So I really love this opening title sequence. It, it's... I don't, I don't know how to describe it. It's very atmospheric. It's very gloomy. But it just, it, you really get that Halloween autumn vibe off of it. And I realized that they sh- actually shot this during uh, the spring. I think part five was in the winter. But this one, I believe it was the spring. So they had to get leaves flown in and they painted a bunch of gourds and squash and stuff. Well, that's but, not the
1: first time they've had to do this for a Halloween movie. <laughs>
0: right. But you would never know because the way they have everything set up and it looks like it's shot right at dusk. I mean, it's just, it's really beautiful. It's just over the small town and the wind's blowing. Like it makes you feel like you're out there in it and you get a chill almost. Like it just looks, you can feel the cool wind on you almost. They, they definitely
1: did a good job. Very cool. I, I think cool. it's interesting that they imported the leaves.
0: Yeah. Well, they had to do the same thing yeah. for the
1: original. I just can't imagine importing leaves. I don't yeah. know. It feels weird to me. <laughs> yeah. But it gave Malik something to do because he didn't say that was one of his <laughs> jobs as a production assistant on yeah. this one was raking up the leaves.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we cut to an ambulance speeding through the pouring rain and they arrive at Ridgemont Federal Sanitarium. And as they arrive, they're shook down by a security trying to rid them of any metal objects and ask what the purpose of their visit is. And they say they have a patient pickup and transfer to Smith's Grove. Dun, dun, dun. So he leads them into a room and asks if it's their first time there. And one of the transport personnel says, well, she hopes it's there last time. And he jumps in with, you never get used to their faces. And at this point, I'm like, is this guy like a patient also?
1: Did he, yeah, did he steal a uniform?
0: <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's kind of creepy looking himself. But they're seeing patients get led around and they're hearing screaming and... Uh, One of the other personnel's like, Jesus Christ, and he's like, Jesus ain't got nothing to do with this place. So...
1: I have a difficult time with their reactions because these, these are, I guess, doctors or whatever from Smiths Grove, mm-hmm. which is a sanitarium. Mm-hmm. Why would they be that uncomfortable with people with mental illness? Does that make sense? Yeah. It seems like even though maybe this is a maximum security facility and maybe they don't work at a maximum security facility, their reactions don't seem realistic for somebody that does what they do, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't understand if he's in a federal sanitarium, why are they transferring him back to the same place that lost him the first time? It's <laughs> a good question. I like, that seems like poor judgment and the other okay so back to you know we were talking about how they tried to erase uh number two but when he's walking him in you know and he's telling him the story about what happened 10 years ago he mentions dr loomis shooting michael myers six times and then setting him on fire so he's referencing both movies right i don't know I, it just for all their talk of we got to get rid of or we're, we're not going to acknowledge number two they sure put a hell of a lot of number two in this movie
0: <laughs> they put a lot of number they put a lot of a lot in shit way. in this movie <laughs> But yes, he, the guard leads him to an elevator where, yes, he gives the backstory on Michael Myers and his murder spree in 1978. And from there, they enter a room where they meet Dr. Hoffman, the medical administrator. And Dr. Hoffman asks them if, he asks one of the personnel if they can go talk outside. And tells the other one to check his vitals. As... As we see the the lady checking Michael's blood pressure, we see his hand then come out or fall out from under a sheet. And the hand is scarred. So, again, there we go. Our first reference to part two. So, the male... Doctor. Tra- transfer. <laughs> I can't. Pointed transfer personnel.
1: Well, I mean, he's. I'm assuming that they're both <laughs> doctors at least.
0: Yeah. He asked Dr. Hoffman why Dr. Loomis isn't overseeing this transfer, but Dr. Hoffman says, well, Dr. Loomis didn't get the memo, but that his position at this point is more ceremonial than medical, and that he hopes that Loomis will either transfer, retire, or die. I mean, harsh sauce. <laughs>
1: There is some <laughs> serious dislike between us two. Well, at least on his side. Yeah. And I don't I don't get it.
0: Yeah. Anyway, they begin to transfer. They begin the transfer as the Halloween theme finally comes in proper and Dr. Hoffman gives Michael one last look before the ambulance drives away. In the back of the ambulance, we see Michael on the gurney and his head is completely bandaged up, again covering I guess the burn scars. Why would he still be bandaged like that after 10 years? I don't know. It's so they don't have to look at his face.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's so
0: we don't see his face, let's be would, honest. Yeah,
1: but I mean, you'd think he would be healed <laughs> yeah. at that point, so he would no longer require bandages. And if he's unconscious, he ain't gonna know.
0: It's, it's specifically for that purpose, so we I don't, don't see his face. There,
1: there's other Halloween movies where he's not wearing a mask and they shoot it where you can't see his face.
0: Yeah. So as the doctors begin talking about any living relatives being left, it's revealed that Michael has a living niece in Haddonfield. And this causes Michael to get straight up pissed for some reason. And he grips his blanket really tight into a fist. And that somehow goes unnoticed. They continue to talk when out of nowhere, we see Michael's hand shoot up, grabbing the male doctor by his and slamming his head repeatedly against the wall of the ambulance. And then he digs his thumb into his forehead as the other lady screams.
1: And now that was a scene that was added after the fact, right? Yes. What, didn't they, isn't that one of the ones they brought Beekler in for?
0: Yes, because yes, I believe so. a
1: Akkad, who was notoriously squeamish about blood, immediately said there's not enough blood. Yeah, yeah, basically
0: <laughs> the film wasn't, after it wrapped, they, it wasn't hitting those standard slasher slasher beats, so he asked for some reshoots and some inserts of, you know, more, more kills, basically. Now we start the movie proper and see Jamie Lloyd, played by Daniel Harris, looking out a window at the storm with a dog beside her on the couch. Her foster sister, Rachel, played by Ellie Cornell, enters the room exasperatingly stating that it is four in the morning and Jamie says that she can't sleep and asks Rachel if she loves her like a real sister to which Rachel replies, they're not really sisters, but that doesn't mean she loves her any less. And Jamie says, sure. (laughs) So Rachel then starts trying to comfort her and, and she says that she knows she misses her parents and Jamie says it's been 11 months. So we obviously have... Um, some implication here that Jamie's parents are not in the picture. To what end we really don't get to hear. But Rachel puts Jamie to bed and Jamie goes to close her window, which Travis, you had a huge problem with that as a carpenter. Well, I mean,
1: it's been raining and they left the window open and she just like reaches, it's a, it's a frame house. I mean, it's a wooden, I don't know. I just, that window closed super easy. <laughs> that wood's
0: going to swell. Yes, and
1: what made it window really hard to close and I don't know why you'd have that window open anyway.
0: So this is what it's like to live with a carpenter that's not John Carpenter. <laughs> you have him looking at everything wooden <laughs> and constantly bashing what's wrong.
1: That's why we can't go look at old houses. They say that that shit's not original. That shit came from Home Depot.
0: So, two things you can expect from Travis throughout this series is he's either going to bitch about woodwork or he's going to know everything possible about any guns and ammunition in these movies. Hey,
1: I've got a problem. Just
0: bear with us, guys. I'm working on it. So Jamie closes her window and goes to her closet, pulling out a shoe box. And in the shoe box is like little cards and books and some photographs. And one of them is her her mother, who we see to be Laurie Strode. And she begins to cry. As she goes to lie down, she passes a mirror in which we see Michael's, or the shape's, reflection. She says her prayers when her closet door slowly creaks open. She gets up and she goes to close it. And once it's closed, it creaks back open again and suddenly a hand reaches out from under her bed grabbing her by the ankle she starts screaming very loudly and goodness does that little child have some pipes on her i mean talk about blood curling she was going for it oh yeah she does not get enough credit for her performance in this movie i don't feel like they would say you know don't work with animals or kids but she was like one of those standouts back then i think
1: they say that because the animals and the kids will steal the show from you (laughs) really i mean look at the benji movies it's all
0: about the dog. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> it's more. It's more common now to have child standout actors like you know in the It series and stuff. Or like a lot of kids are giving amazing performances now. But I don't think that was as heard of in 1988. No, I mean no. the only the only other really standout child performance I can think of in the late 80s was Alex Vincent doing Andy Barkley in Child's Play. That was another one that I just oh my goodness like. He did okay. Oh, oh, come on. That scene when he's in the asylum and he starts to cry, like, that really gets me every single time. And maybe it's because I'm a parent, but these children being in peril, it's like, like, fuck off with that. Like, I can't take it. (laughs)
1: Well, I'm a parent, too, of the same children you are. And I... I don't know. I I feel like her, when she freaks out and cries and screams and all that stuff, it's a lot more realistic, I guess, Mm -hmm. than little Barclays. So... (laughs) I don't know. But she did do a great job in this movie. And I, I don't I've seen a lot of those 80 movies, 80s movies with child actors and they weren't all good. No. Not all those child actors could pull it off, but she did do a fantastic job.
0: Yeah. Well, didn't they call her like they were like excuse the word, but they called her a midget like she was like a 40-year-old in a 10-year-old body, basically. Yeah. That she she didn't have to do her takes many times that she was very professional, um very poised. Yeah. Very mature for her age. But she manages to get to her feet and then we see Michael pop out from under the bed. And she gets to her bedroom door and manages to get it open and we see Michael standing in her doorway. So she starts screaming again and this alerts her foster parents and they come, come running. They find Jamie in her closet crying and hanging onto her shoebox for comfort. And it's, it's really sad. Again, I'm just, I'm picturing Isabel who is obviously not quite 10 yet. She's only seven, But you've been in that position before where your child is terrified, you know, from a bad dream or the dark or something and you just, I I couldn't help but feel for her character. So they start comforting her and telling her it was just a bad dream. So we smash cut to the next morning and it's Halloween day and we see the Carruthers family at breakfast with typical morning chaos and this part just always cracks me up because we've got the dad who's going for his cup of coffee and he dips his tie into the cup Coffee and somehow this is the wife's fault.
1: Tuck it in your shirt, dumbass.
0: Like he gives her the worst go to hell look. Like how dare you put my tie in my coffee?
1: And the thing is, if he's if he's worn a tie very much, he knows you you tuck it in like into the shirt between the buttons, or throw it over your shoulder so you
0: don't do that. Yeah, I mean you've you've had those mornings. Like this is first day. So as this is going on, they find, they get a phone call and find out that their babysitter has broken her ankle and cannot babysit for them that night. They've got some kind of work event going on and the dad's up for some kind of promotion or something, but they then ask Rachel or start to imply that they're going to ask Rachel to babysit. And she is obviously very annoyed and refuses because she has an important date with Brady. And she is sitting there bitching very rudely rudely I might add about her night and possible future being ruined and as the parent of teenagers we're just keep talking about our kids but it's it, it's all very realistic you know you have those chaotic mornings and you have you know you're asking your kids to do something and they're like going very Napoleon dynamite on you just uh.
1: it feels like a pretty realistic amount of drama that she puts into it <laughs> because I don't know it's like with our kids you say go clean your room you're like thanks now I'm gonna die old and alone. <laughs>
0: Exactly.
1: Like, how did you? No. <laughs> Where, I don't know. Just completely left field.
0: Yeah. So we then see that Jamie has happened upon this conversation and she just looks so
1: Devastated. hurt. Devastated.
0: And she's like, she basically apologizes for ruining her life, essentially. And her parents then shame her as they should have because with everything that Jamie has been through, they she needs all the love and support right now. And all Rachel is thinking about is herself in true typical teen fashion. <laughs> But... Rachel goes after her and apologizes and wants to make it up to her by trick-or-treating that night, but Jamie doesn't want to trick-or-treat, so then Rachel suggests maybe ice cream after school instead. In the next scene, we see Dr. Loomis enter the room of Dr. Hoffman back at Ridgemont asking why wasn't he notified of Michael's transfer, but Dr. Hoffman says he is sick of listening to Loomis's shit for the last decade, basically, which I guess anybody in his in his vicinity is probably sick of the last 10 years of just hearing he's gone he's gone (laughs) okay
1: i I get that that maybe they're tired of hearing it but he's still not wrong and i don't i don't know how they don't get that and the level of animosity coming from dr hoffman doesn't seem proportionate like is he Mm -hmm. is he jealous that dr loomis got to turn into malcolm mcdowell and write a book later i don't know (laughs) i I don't know it's just it doesn't feel talk about a glow up Yeah. It doesn't feel right. But at the end of the day, he was right. And did Hoffman forget that he killed, what, 16 people?
0: Yeah. I can only... Because Im- clearly
1: we're talking about the second movie. Right.
0: <laughs> like, I can only imagine that, you know, when Loomis pops up, they're like, oh God, this guy again. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, I don't know, maybe. But he tells Loomis that Michael is a federal patient and a federal prisoner, and therefore he is sub- subject to federal law. But Loomis goes on about how dangerous Michael is, and uh, it's Halloween, fucker.
1: <laughs> but so if he's subject to federal law, why did they transfer him out of a federal facility?
0: I don't know. Couldn't tell you.
1: I don't know. That doesn't. I'd write
0: the movie. <laughs> but Hoffman says it's Loomis who needs professional help. Which ouch. <laughs>
1: He might not be completely wrong on that point, though.
0: I mean, true. There's a level of truth to that. But I wouldn't say he fully cracks until part five.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, like, yeah. In five, his head spins around. He's...
0: <laughs> like, he's just shaking children and offering he's up his bait. And...
1: Full-blown nuts in number five. Yeah.
0: So, then Hoffman gets a call informing him of the ambulance's accident. So, we cut to Loomis going to investigate the wreckage, and Loomis inquires about how many bodies were found, but they don't know because they're pretty fucked up.
1: Time to start counting boots.
0: Not satisfied with that information, as typical Loomis. <laughs> he goes to have a look-see at the wreckage and sees the carnage of the night before so basically there's just blood all over that crunched ass ambulance and he tells everyone in true fashion michael's gone he's gone from here god damn you michael <laughs> <laughs> And he also tells them, you guys aren't going to find him. So he's on his way to Haddonfield now. And he says, if they don't find him in the four hours it takes them to get to Haddonfield, he's sure he will. And that he does. Because we cut to a gas station next where Michael is in his gown and his bandages and he kills a mechanic, obviously for his signature coveralls.
1: Okay. So I got a question for you. Yeah. I saw a thing or read a thing that said that his coveralls in the first two movies were green like forest green or some shit like that big mac green overalls
0: yeah i don't think so aren't they blue i'm pretty sure they've always been
1: blue in every movie
0: yeah
1: okay i just i I was trying to think about it and i i don't think it was green i'd have to go back and watch the first one yeah but
0: in in my mind they've always been blue i think
1: they've always been blue yeah
0: just when loomis arrives at arrives for gas and not immediately (laughs) greeted by an attendee oh
1: he he goes full karen (laughs) He does. He's pissed that nobody's waiting on him.
0: He goes inside to find the place deserted. He stumbles upon the body of the mechanic and runs into the diner of the gas station finding another dead body, I guess of a lady that cooks, a cook. And he
1: so okay, right before Michael kills the guy, he's at, he's yelling at who Garn mm-hmm. to get a 916 socket or something like that. So, was that the waitress that was behind the counter or was there a third person? I'm guessing is it there was supposed a... to be Garn like Garn Stevens from number 3. <laughs> Because that's not a normal name. And it seems like there would have had to have been a third person because in the shot when he walks into the diner, there's a half finished beer sitting on the table behind him.
0: Maybe we just didn't see that body.
1: Nob's too focused on like the 17 pictures of (laughs) President Lincoln on the wall behind him.
0: What was up with that?
1: I don't know. How many do you need? Like, we got to get all of his glamour shots from all the different angles. I don't know.
0: Hey, respect for the dead, yo. No, I'm just saying. It was a... I mean, we get it. Like, Lincoln was an upstanding human being, but upstanding. There, there's my accent coming out again, guys. But...
1: Yeah. But seriously, there were like 10 or 12 pictures of Lincoln on that one wall. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm looking at it too close. But the unfinished beer sitting on the table. There had to have been a third person. Maybe they just didn't show us the body.
0: I guess Or so.
1: that mechanic was drunk working.
0: <laughs> he was drinking on the job. Well, we know how that worked out in Wishmaster, don't we? <laughs> yeah. Trying but failing to use the phone, he senses a presence and slowly turns around and there stands the shape across the room. Loomis asks, why now? Why after 10 years? But that he knew this day would come and urges him not to go to Haddonfield and that if he wants a victim to take him and finishes by saying, Michael, goddamn you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then Michael teleports. <laughs> right. <laughs> or goes invisible. He puts on his cloak of invisibility.
0: Well, and Loomis, Loomis fires at him first, but he's but he's gone.
1: Yeah, apparently they filmed that several different ways. So like it showed him dodging and one where it showed him getting hit and like falling backwards. And I guess the test audiences or something like that didn't like it. So they just went with, he'll just disappear. <laughs> Because that's better.
0: I guess. I don't know. I've never understood that whole teleporting thing, especially with Jason. I used to have this... There was a time where I thought in uh, Jason Takes Manhattan that that whole teleporting thing was fucking terrifying, you know, because it wouldn't matter where you'd go. He'd just pop up. So the idea of that was, was scary back then, and now it's like, Really? <laughs> Yeah. So Loomis runs outside, and we see Michael stealing a truck and speeding off, causing explosions, and Loomis continues to fire at him.
1: Okay, let's be fair. We don't see Michael in that truck. Right. And Loomis starts firing at that tow truck before he can even possibly see who's driving it.
0: Okay, but who else would be there? Everybody's dead. It could have been the dead. third
1: person that didn't finish their beer trying to run away from, the, from I, Michael.
0: I really doubt it. He... <laughs> doubt it because any nosy bystander would be just that I'm just they'd saying be that fucking nosy. Is not a
1: responsible firearms <laughs> owner because he started shooting before he could identify the target <laughs>
0: So with this explosion, Loomis's car is effectively destroyed. We then see Jamie after school being berated by classmates. And these are some little shits, man. I mean, they're making fun of her for not having a costume and that every day is Halloween at her house because her uncle's the boogeyman. And they go on even like further to make fun of her for her mother being dead. Like
1: Jesus. Yeah, they chase her out of the school.
0: We thought bullying was bad now.
1: Chanting, Jamie's an orphan. (laughs) Yeah. Which is... Okay, so you can hear him chanting it, but if you look at the shot, none of the kids' mouths are moving.
0: Yeah, but it's horrible. It's like whoop those kids whoop that trick but they chase her down and she is running away and they're and it's just they're continuing their torment of her and she runs to a tree and she's basically trying to comfort herself wow and just then Rachel arrives to pick her up and from that point Jamie has changed her mind and has decided she wants to go trick-or-treating after all and something I found strange is Rachel has a friend with her and this friend is supposed to be Lindsay Wallace from the original they don't explicitly say that but if you look it up that's who it's supposed to be
1: well there's some places they said it was supposed to be and then there was others where they said it wasn't yeah and this is, seems to be pretty typical with all your halloween movies nearly yeah. all except for the first two with john carpenter's movies his, his first two it was pretty cut and drown this is what it is everything that came after that there's a it's so hard to really nail down what the truth is because i mean even in interviews you get two people saying two different things right so i, I don't know I, I saw that where it was supposed to be that this Lindsay is the Lindsay wallace and I've seen another one where it's not
0: right so but they also say in the credits that Tommy Doyle's supposed to be in this movie so and I never found anybody I mean with the exception
1: Tommy Doyle is credited yeah in the movie when you get to the end there is a character named Tommy yeah but not Tommy Doyle right so I don't know
0: and I've been going through and the only thing that I can think of the only boy that maybe stands out a little bit is one of Brady's friends that's trying to hit on Kelly but that's about all i got there's really no other characters and I, I really doubt those boys pulling the prank later dressing up tommy would be one of those you think he'd obviously be devastated no he's from... paul
1: rudd <laughs> right tommy Doyle is paul rudd he's ant-man and he does that weird like face twitch thing when he sees michael so <laughs> that couldn't be him
0: so anyway Lindsay chimes in that the discount mart is having a sale on costumes and that brady will be there so they arrive at the discount Mart and we get a shot of Kelly Meeker, played by Kathleen Kinmont, of Bride of Reanimator, one of my personal favorite films, pricing items, shampoos and such, and a boy seemingly trying on some slick-ass shades and watching her intently. Brady, played by Sasha Jensen, tells Wade to make his move, but Wade says not to rush him because timing's gotta be primo. They place a bet of $10, that big money, (laughs) that Wade won't ask her out, They also take the opportunity to remind him that Kelly is the sheriff's daughter. But Wade says, her daddy don't scare me. And right when he tries to make his move... One of my favorite scenes of the movie, she shuts him down with a fuck off Wade and it cracks me up. Because Before he
1: even says anything.
0: I know. Like, she
1: knew it was Like, funny.
0: I think he clears his throat and she just shuts him down and he just, the look of shock on his face. I mean, he's, he's utterly destroyed and the guys start laughing at him. The girls arrive and Brady greets them and points Jamie in the direction of the costumes. Jamie wants Rachel's help, but Rachel says she and Brady need to talk. Jamie begins trying to find the perfect costume and on the shelf behind her, we actually see the mask that Michael's known to wear. She comes across a clown costume almost identical to the one Michael wore as he killed his sister 25 years prior. And we cut to Rachel talking to Brady and she tells him that she has to cancel their date because babysitter can't be there. And Brady becomes very agitated for really no good reason because it's obviously not her fault and and he's talking about it being short notice. It's five o'clock already, Rachel.
1: Dick, but we have such big plans. That <laughs> finding out late in the day, is well, just you know, mess him up. He
0: wants to, he wants to hit that.
1: <laughs> okay, but he's dating her. He had to know that wasn't going to happen.
0: Right. Yeah, Rachel's. And, and it's one thing that I appreciate about her character is she's our good, strong lead, but she's, she's also a good girl. Like she, like, even though we heard her bitching about having to babysit earlier, ultimately she does the right thing in, in, in most cases. She does.
1: And according to Akkad's established slasher rules, she should be the survivor.
0: Right. <laughs> And during this discussion, he catches Kelly's gaze, obviously curious at the turn of events. He then blows Rachel off, saying he'll call her later. And as Jamie's holding up the costume to inspect it, we see Michael's hand grabbing the mask that we know he's after. Jamie then has a vision of herself as a young Michael, and startled, she turns around to see Michael pulling on his mask and once again begins to scream bloody murder.
1: So, when do we want to talk about this mask? <laughs> Because there's a lot.
0: (laughs) It's a lot for sure.
1: Okay, so let's just do it. This mask is trash. It's bad.
0: Yeah, it's pretty damn bad.
1: But it's bad because they had to completely remake it. So in part two, they still had the mask from part one because I guess Deborah Hill had had the mask and so obviously it had aged a little bit but they still had the original Mar- yeah,
0: well, mask. yeah well it had apparently sat under her bed until it got time to film and the guy and I can't remember who played him in part two but his face was much more round than Nick Castle's face was and so it just even though it's the exact same mask it fit differently and, you, and it shows you can tell it's still a good mask but yeah obviously it didn't it... well what's important is it's the same mask
1: so even right. if it fits a little bit different. You've still got the details that you expect to see and nothing extra. And in this one they had to start from scratch. The only the only complaint that I've read about the mask in part two was it one article said that I guess Deborah Hill was a heavy smoker. Mm-hmm. And so that's the reason there's a little bit of a color difference between number one and number two. I don't know about that. I thought the mask looked good. And if you look at the cover for four, they yep. used a shot from one or two. I know. Like a production still to make the cover. And then when, the, when he finally shows up wearing the mask, you're like, what the fuck is this? I,
0: do, I don't know why that miffs me so bad, but it does.
1: But so they had to remake this mask completely. And Don Post Studios did it. And apparently the first shipment, uh, what was his name? Ken Horn, the guy that was in charge of that, the like the makeup when he opened them i guess the first batch of 6 it was pink with white hair right and
0: had some serious beaker hair it on was... it <laughs>
1: It was the, the, the color was all wrong, and so he told them about it, but they shot scenes with it anyway. And this is another one of those Halloween <sighs> inconsistencies where you get people blaming the editing and people blaming the shooting and people blaming producers. Everybody's trying to pass the buck. Nobody wants to accept it. But oh, I mean, wait
0: till we get H to H2O, guys. Like, it's even worse. For fuck's <laughs> sake.
1: How do you miss that? Like, when you're shooting a movie, how do you look at him and go, that mask looks exactly like the white one, <laughs> except it's pink. Yeah. Those are the same. Yeah. A ghost. <laughs> Right? I just... I don't know. It's, some of it just feels lazy to Yeah. Me. And that's... Okay, this is one of those movies where I had a neutral opinion about it beforehand. Mm-hmm. I found a lot to dislike about it since we've been watching it. Okay. I know you love it, so I'm not gonna... I'm not <laughs> try not to shit on it too much. But there's just so much lazy bullshit in this movie and even more lazy bullshit in number five. Oh, as and then they it gets go even on. worse in number yeah. six. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure.
1: But yeah, the mask was a whole thing. Ken Horn actually got fired over. Yeah. The mask. He got fired like for about 30
0: minutes. <laughs> by a
1: producer, and he did it in front of the crew. But then I guess somebody from Fangoria was writing an article on the movie and went back to that producer and said if you don't hire him back then we're not going to cover your movie yeah so he had found him and apologized and hired him. no back. soup for you <laughs> and then they fired tom morga because tom morga had backed him up on mask changes that they wanted to make it was something to do with the glue they were gonna have to cut the eye holes he and wasn't gonna be able something. to breathe like well, he, it could have killed him. in the interview i got the impression it was because the fumes from the gas yeah or the the glue rather yeah the fumes from the glue were gonna make him pass out like it was a legitimate health concern right and the producer didn't give a shit
0: like, i don't give a shit about his health
1: but since morga backed up ken horn they were like yeah fuck you you're fired and that's when they brought on uh george wilbur george, george wilbur right yeah so if you look at it there's actually two actors credited as michael myers right but i think morga's only credited as bandage face michael myers yeah even though he did several other parts of the movie where he's with wearing the mask the on michael yeah
0: myers like seen toward scenes towards the end of the movie even
1: so and not to throw rocks at either one of them i don't like how either one of them move in this movie
0: right we just, we had some discussion about this guys because upon trying to hire George P. Wilbur for this, they basically were like, okay, give us your walk. And so he did. And they're like, we we want you to have a lumbering walk. And I'm like, fuck you guys. Jason lumbers. Michael Myers does not lumber. He's like smoke. He's like a ghost almost. Like he just glides almost. Well, I
1: know you didn't like the example that I gave, but to me, Michael Myers, or not Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees is a bear crashing through the trees, chasing you through the forest. us to eat you, Mm -hmm. right? He's this giant, powerful, I'm going to destroy anything between me and you to get to you. Right. Nothing really sneaky about him, right? Mm -hmm. He teleports and then he comes after you. (laughs) Michael Myers should be like, he should move like a cat. Yeah. You know, a a lion or or a tiger or something stalking his prey. Yeah. And he just doesn't do that in this movie at all.
0: I felt like Nick Castle's movements were very fluid.
1: Yeah. And you can hear his footsteps in this movie and that just pisses me off and I don't know why. (laughs) Like you could, you don't hear him walk in the first two, do you? Like even in the hospital on a tile floor, you no. don't hear his footsteps. No. And in this one, you hear him fucking stomping around like he's wearing clogs. <laughs> what the hell? I don't know. I didn't like it. Sorry.
0: Anyway, so Jamie ends up backing into and breaking a mirror and Rachel and Brady come in, find her crying in the floor. And she says, it was the nightmare man. He's coming to get me, Rachel. And they're basically like, you're okay. It's not a big deal. Get up. Let's go. Well, they're more worried about
1: that she got cut on the glass from the mirror that broke. Right. She backed into.
0: Yeah. And I love that they have like neither Jamie or Rachel. Of course, Jamie's was an accident, but they have no regard for this the store because Jamie breaks a mirror and then Rachel knocks down a card display in order to get to her. So she's like, fuck Brady, his ass will clean it up.
1: (laughs) Yeah, she was mad. So she just made a big mess.
0: (laughs) We cut to Loomis trying to hitchhike along the road. A car full of girls or cheerleaders and some boys approach. Like they're gonna give him a ride. And Loomis obviously relieved. And I don't know why this part used to crack me and my brothers up when we were kids, but he just has this little smile on his face as he's trying to jog to the car and we used to always laugh at this face. I'm sorry, that's horrible, but...
1: Yeah, what uh, cracks me up is the dub that they put on here. Yeah. You hear the words, but if you look at the guy that's supposed to be saying it, his lips don't match at all. It's kind of like the kids. Jamie's an orphan, Jamie's an orphan, and none of the kids' mouths are moving.
0: Right. Lazy
1: shit. ADR
0: <laughs> for you guys. But the kids pull a horrible shit prank, and they speed off, completely covering Loomis in dusted and dirt. And just then, an old truck pulls up, and we hear, Get in gear, old man! <laughs> and we meet the man or priest who introduces himself as Jackson P. Sayer.
1: It would have scared me to death to get in that truck. There's like a branch sticking out of the grill. It's like, what's he been driving over? <laughs> And then he's using two, like, pieces of tire for bumpers. Yeah. And he's drinking a lot. (laughs) Like, why would you get in there with him?
0: And spreading his sneeze germs everywhere. (laughs) I
1: know. Clearly this was filmed before COVID because that dude, like, sneezes on his hand and then shakes Loomis's hand. Of course, you see Loomis look at it like, oh, fuck. Gross. (laughs) But he wasn't rude, like he, he shook his hand. I wouldn't. I'd be like, you need to clean your damn hand first, buddy.
0: You would not. You'd do the same thing Loomis did, just kind of. At least Loomis ah. is wearing gloves, though. True,
1: true. Well, he's wearing gloves on that hand. Anyway, so.
0: Loomis tells uh, Mr. Sayer that he's headed to Haddonfield, and Sayer immediately recognizes that they are kindred spirits, and asks him, you're hunting it, ain't ya? Which always makes me think of Crazy Ralph. Going to Camp Blood, ain't ya?
1: So is this the was this the inspiration for supernatural hunters going after evil?
0: <laughs> Who knows?
1: He's the doomsayer. This uh, Sayer is the crazy Ralph of this movie.
0: <laughs> right. And just like him, he's hunting the apocalypse Armageddon, and that it always has a face and a name, and that he's been hunting it for 30 years, but you can't kill damnation. It doesn't die the way a man dies. And then he offers him a drink.
1: Which he takes. <laughs> And then you see the look on Loomis' face afterwards, like for a second there, it looks like he regrets drinking after this man. (laughs) Wouldn't you? (laughs) But then he smiles again. You get like a little smile. Like he, he recognizes that it's a kindred spirit. And so, so he smiled when the kids pulled over. Yeah. And here.
0: Yeah. Well, Sayre starts singing a hymn, an old hymn. Yeah. And I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't say that that song doesn't get stuck in my head for like a good day after I watch it. So I'll I'll spare you the singing in this episode, guys. But have we seen Loomis smile at any point up to here? Um, I think he gets another chuckle in like part six. Well, I mean, in the first two movies. I don't recall him ever smiling at all up to this point. So it's a very rare thing and it's, it's, it's cute. It's, it's a nice little moment that we have. That night, the girls' parents leave for their work event, leaving the important numbers and rules. And as they leave the house, we get the classic Mike pov shot watching them from the shadows
1: i'm glad they brought that back
0: yeah i was too jamie runs to get ready as rachel attempts to phone brady for what reason I don't know. But she leaves a message for him to come over at 8 o'clock. They leave and we get another POV of Michael in Jamie's room going through her shoebox and seeing a photo of Lori and of Jamie. And I think there's a picture of him, too, that's supposed to be from when he killed his sister, but I couldn't really tell. It looked like a baby standing in front of a gate or something. Yeah, so
1: that documentary, well, he's wearing the clown costume. So that documentary, I, they reshot some of that stuff with a different kid. Mm-hmm. Like uh, when Jamie sees her reflection in the mirror and it's supposed to be tied Michael Myers wearing the clown costume on the other mm-hmm. side it was that kid and I think that's probably just they took a black and white photo of that same kid because that's not <laughs> an original that's not a stock photo for see
0: me. if it's me because one of the photos that they had of Lori was a production still from yes. the original movie so it's like if you can if you have access to that photo why can't you get a production still of Michael I don't know yeah but I mean if you look at that, that was odd. when
1: she sees the reflection in the mirror what at the hardware store mm-hmm. it's the same kid it's yeah. just a black and white photo of that kid
0: yeah and, except to me he looked like
1: a baby in that photo and I I have a question about this. So Michael's at the Carruthers house, not the Myers house, not at the police station. He's been in a coma or whatever, unconscious, incapacitated for 10 years. Right. How the fuck did he find her? (laughs) There's absolutely no reason he should know where she lives. None at all. Right.
0: I don't know, man. I don't know. That
1: shit doesn't make sense. (laughs) Anyway.
0: We next cut to Loomis arriving at the Haddonfield PD to speak to Sheriff Brackett, but he's quickly informed that Brackett has retired and moved away. Then Sheriff Meeker greets him, saying that he knows all about him and no one there is likely to forget his face, and asks why after 10 years has he shown up. Loomis tells Meeker of Michael's escape and return and wants to finish what he started with Lori with Jamie.
1: Yeah, so that crap about Brackett retiring in 81... Is allegedly a reference to the year of Halloween 2's release. Okay. Because that's the last time you saw him.
0: Well that was yeah, that was when he found out Annie was dead and yeah. you presume that he retired quickly after that.
1: Right. But again, we're not talking about number two. <laughs> we're gonna put all the shit in there from number two, but we're not gonna talk about that.
0: Meeker tries to dismiss Loomis when he gets pissed and goes off. Six bodies, sir. Six bodies.
1: <laughs> so six bodies. Yeah, between where and where, so he's including four from the ambulance, but they never actually found them. So is he just taking it on faith that they're dead? I guess so. I mean, and then the, the two bodies sick? at the service station. But he—when did he see the mechanic's body? Because he didn't. It go came in the
0: down. Yeah, he came down from. He was chained yeah, up from mm-hmm. the
1: ceiling. That's right. That's yeah. right. Okay.
0: And a gas station in flames, and that Michael is there to kill Jamie and anyone who gets in his way. So Meeker gives in, and after finding out the phone lines are down, is officially on the case. Rachel and Drake. Jamie are trick-or-treating when a group of kids and I believe this is the same group of kids that were bullying Jamie at school it looked like the same boy yes anyway and they stopped to compliment her on her costume because it just works like that kids just
1: look you know how bipolar (laughs) kids are Kids are all over the place. (laughs)
0: But they ask her if she wants to trick or treat with them as Michael, we see, stalks close by. They go to the next house, which is the sheriff's house. And we find that out because Kelly answers the door in nothing but a t-shirt that says cops do it by the book. Rachel looks surprised, but that turns to anger quickly when she sees that Brady is there. He runs after her trying to explain himself, but Rachel doesn't want to hear any of that shit, but yet stays for some reason and Jamie runs off with these kids. So that was a minor complaint that I had, I guess, is, is you get that Rachel is responsible and caring and loving of Jamie, but this boy pops up and all of a sudden it's like, Jamie, what Jamie? Who's Jamie? <laughs>
1: If you look at all of Rachel's behavior leading up to this point and all of her behavior after this, this whole I'm going to stay and argue with him while my foster sister. foster sister, step-sister, whatever, wanders off just doesn't hold water for me. Yeah. Like, I think she would have just been like, fuck you and left. Bye. <laughs> so. <laughs>
0: so he apologizes saying he was just pissed off. So Rachel says, well, she'll let him get back to Little Miss Hot Panties, which is appropriate, and starts to run after Jamie. But she has lost her now. We cut to a bar where the bartender named Earl is watching the news intently as a reporter says that all businesses are being ordered to shut down. He tries the phone to call the police station, but nobody answers. And the guys are like, well, what the hell's up with that? So they decide they're gonna load up and see what the hell's up. We go back to the Carruthers house, and Sheriff Meeker and Loomis are searching for the girls. And Loomis finds that Michael has in fact been there, and he finds the dog dead because, of course, Michael killed the dog. This Why wouldn't you know he? This is ain't Michael's evil
1: because he kills every <laughs> dog. <laughs>
0: So Meeker stations a cop there to keep watch in case the girls or anybody should return. Meanwhile, at the city's power station, Michael rolls up on an employee named Bucky. He tells Michael to leave. And when Michael doesn't budge, he says, don't try that Halloween shit with me. Michael continues to stay, prompting Bucky to go all dad on him, saying that he's going to call the police, but don't even think about leaving. (laughs) <laughs> Michael grabs him by the collar and the waist of his pants and just full on yeets him into a transformer, not Optimus Prime, knocking out the power in Haddonfield.
1: Steve Rogers can come for that. I ass. was gonna
0: say I would, I like, would, I would like to see the Halloween Five where Steve Rogers go and avenges the death of Bucky. Yeah. They can call it the Autumn Soldier.
1: So you know why that guy's name was Bucky? <laughs> because the prop master's nickname was Bucky, and uh-huh. he put his name on the hard hat. Yeah, it was supposed to be a joke, <laughs> and apparently he did it throughout the movie, but I didn't find it anything else like that's the most blatant one uh, that I guess that they talked about in one of those interviews that apparently he was a practical joker so he would like sneak little shit in
0: yeah so for a lot of people you know there's the character of Ben Tramer in part two that everybody's like oh it's mostly Dr. Wolfila. but for me in this one it's definitely Bucky like where's the justice for Bucky that's all I gotta say about that back in town Rachel continues to search for Jamie and Jamie searches for Rachel and both girls are kind of sensing that Somebody is on their tail. So all of a sudden, Rachel sees someone who looks like Michael and, as she should, begins to run away. They finally find each other when Meeker and Loomis also find them and get them to leave with them. But just then, a man dressed like Michael pops up, then another, and then another. And Meeker's like, oh shit, Doc, like, (laughs) what do we do?
1: I got a problem with this whole (laughs) sequence. All of it. From the time Jamie gets lost until this. Number first one is, why in the hell was Rachel searching every, like, back? backyard in the fucking neighborhood that she had to climb fences to get away. Mm-hmm. But Jamie was just looked like she was headed back home. She was literally walking down the sidewalk on the street. Mm-hmm. So why was she like looking behind somebody's damn shed? That didn't I, make any sense at all.
0: Isn't that where you get candy from strangers?
1: Uh, I, yes, <laughs> but she already got the candy from the strangers. It's in Jamie's bag. Right. And then <laughs> Loomis rolls up and they have no reason to know who the hell he is. Like just some weird guy with scars on his face and we're just getting a car with him. Yeah. That's what we're going to do. Yeah. Cause that makes sense. <laughs> I just, uh, and then the masks, right? You get all these guys popping up, you know, Michael Myers, all dressed differently. Why would they still sell those masks there?
0: I I don't know.
1: Like that doesn't make sense to me at all. No. I mean, it's different like in Friday the 13th because you can't just stop selling hockey masks, but that specific one in this world, why would they still make those if it's synonymous with, I mean, you don't get John Wayne Gacy masks at Halloween.
0: Do you? You might.
1: Pretty sure you don't.
0: But you definitely don't walk into Spirit Halloween and see a Charles Manson mask hanging up.
1: You don't. (laughs) You don't.
0: Yeah. You just think it would be in poor taste.
1: So why would they...
0: So the thing that bugs me here is like, why would Loomis all of a sudden think that there's multiple Michaels? Like that felt very weird. Like he was like scared. Like what did did you think? Like he started replicating or something like... A ghost. (laughs) Anyway, so he tries to shoot at them because he is just like he's seriously trigger happy when it's revealed that it's just some boys playing a prank because assholes. Anyway, they drive away trying the radio, trying to radio the PD revealing Michael standing behind the car all along. We we get to the PD and we see that it's abandoned and trashed and there's blood and bodies everywhere.
1: That police station looks like the sequence of Terminator one after Arnold got done with it.
0: Meeker then asks Loomis what exactly they're dealing with, and Loomis simply replies, "Evil." Evil.
1: <laughs> Just like uh, Mermaid Man.
0: <laughs> the posse then shows up demanding to know what the hell's going on because it's completely their business, that right? Would totally work. <laughs> And Loomis tells them, much to Meeker's chagrin, and the what's going on. And the bartender leading this pack... Yeah, Earl. <laughs> and a guy named Al, who is part of this posse, lost his son back in 78. And my question is, who?
1: Yeah, I tried to find out, and nowhere does it list Al's last name. He's yeah. credited everywhere as just Big Al.
0: Yeah, is he supposed to be the father of Ben Tramer or Linda's boyfriend, Steve, I think, I think his name is. So I just thought that was strange. I'm like, who, who's your boy? Who's your boy? Who's your boy?
1: Yeah. I mean, if they're going <laughs> to reference that, give the guy last name in the credit. So right. So we can tie it back. I mean, you're going to make all this bullshit with Lindsay and burn scars and like, fuck, if you're going to do it, do it. Give us the whole thing.
0: So the truck full of rednecks takes off and Meeker is angry that Loomis created a lynch mob, but Lewis, Loomis says they need them because they no longer have a police force, which
1: Okay. I'd rather have no police force than rednecks in the back of the truck with (laughs) shotguns.
0: You know, nothing good is going to happen.
1: Nothing's going to happen. Like
0: we've, we've seen those trucks full of guys. (laughs) Yes. They're never going to do anything smart. Usually alcohol's involved. Always. And probably guns. Always. Texas, y'all. At the Carothers' house, the cop on guard gets on the radio and says he knows about the station and is told to meet at Meeker's house. Meanwhile, we see that Michael is in the back seat of this cop's car, um, which is Deputy Logan. The girl's parents arrive just in time for that police car, squad car, to be pulling off and see their house is empty.
1: So how did they not notice that a police car just <laughs> pulled out of the driveway. I don't know. Like, it backs out. He turns and drives away right as they pull in.
0: I can't remember. Did he have the cherries on? Does it matter? Well, it seems like if they were on, they would have noticed that.
1: But it's a one-vehicle household, uh-huh. and they're in it. So whether they whether he had his lights going or not, there's another vehicle pulling out of their driveway. Why would they not question that?
0: I don't know. I'd be like, Who, who's at our house? Like, what's going on?
1: Yeah, chase it down.
0: And then immediately, you find out that your girls are missing? Like, <laughs> I'm trying to find that car, right?
1: Now, I, now I'm a redneck in the back of the truck <laughs> if my girls are missing.
0: Right. So we go... Go back to the mob as they spot a quote Michael and stop at a, I guess it's a, a house or a park. I
1: think it's in the park. It's like a. a- pergola. Sort of the, the Greek revival style.
0: Yeah, it's got big columns thing. and yeah. Yeah,
1: but one of the guys in the back says, I see it. I saw his face.
0: <laughs> so they start firing blindly and they've accidentally shot what you could call the new Ben Tramer, Ted Hollister.
1: Well, there's supposed to be a parallel. son of
0: a bitch. Yeah,
1: there's supposed to be a parallel between those two that <laughs> what's his face and the other one got killed for being mistaken as Michael Myers. Right. And this is supposed to be the same thing. And I
0: would say he had the the like Ted Hollister had the least painful death because ben tramer was just mowed down by a squad car (laughs) so yeah and then he exploded himself
1: (laughs) yeah which they this is something else that i think is strange kind of with this is that it's his name ted hollister Mm -hmm. in this one Mm -hmm. he's not credited because it's not a character
0: right well there was no body they didn't show somebody
1: give us a name to a person but we never see him on screen
0: so we can feel sorry for him clearly
1: i don't feel sorry for people that i don't know
0: Sounds about right. I like
1: how the bushes shake and they all go full Predator on that thing. It's (laughs) just like the scene from Predator. Like, I don't know, we're all shooting. Let's shoot.
0: (laughs) We then cut to a romantic roaring fire and Kelly and Brady are readying to get down with the get down when her dad shows up and they panic and dress quickly. Deputy Logan shows up, of course, with Michael in his car. So... It's kind of funny here because we get more of a sense who Ben Sheriff Ben Meeker is as a guy because as these kids are scrambling to get their clothes back on, she tells Brady, like, if my dad catches you, he's going to skin you alive. To start. To start. <laughs> Which, if it were you, you'd Knows say. Those are facts,
1: so. <laughs> facts.
0: And this is, to my knowledge... No, 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 no. I was going to say this, to my knowledge, is the first film we see where there's like some serious TNA in it. But that's not entirely true because we get Big Boobies Nurse McGee in part two. There's actually
1: no nudity in this.
0: No, but there's very little left to the imagination. <laughs> well, I get that, but
1: this is ac- there's actually no nudity in this one at all. Like, you get some side boob, but yeah. that's it. And this is this the only one where they do that? Um, there's at least nipple in every other movie in there
0: no i don't think so is there not These, that that's more of a friday the 13th thing but
1: well, how they that's the only way they could find out you know sell more <laughs> tickets than halloween
0: well and this is a thing that gets on my nerves i'm i'm all about the equal opportunity okay so you watch a bunch of reviews or listen to podcasts and all guys can go on about is her tits and it's like, okay, we get it. But but I digress. Well,
1: so allegedly they shot some nude scenes. Uh-huh. And then they all got cut.
0: Well, see, I, I seem to remember when I was a kid that it did show her full-on boobs. And I remember the first time watching it as, a, as an adult and it only shows her bra, I was like, oh, I thought they showed her boobs in this movie. Not that I care. But it also boggles my mind that Sheriff Meeker has obviously found out that there's a boy here. Whether he knew about it beforehand, we don't know. But he knows that there's a boy here there's cops showing up with him and she's running around in nothing but a t-shirt and obviously not wearing a bra like if that was you or me for that matter shit would not fly
1: michael's gonna have to wait i got some shit i need to deal with (laughs) like little girl you better
0: get your ass up the stairs and put on some clothes right damn now
1: you go get dressed while i skin (laughs) this boy
0: exactly So Rachel walks into the house, of course, to see Brady sitting there. So, of course, she's pissed off still. And Meeker starts passing out um, guns and ammo to everyone, including Brady. And Brady's like, I'm gonna head out. But Meeker tells him, you need to stay here. Just stay. And by the way, if I catch you groping my daughter, I'll use that shotgun on you. Which, (laughs) but I'm sorry, guys. I have, yeah, we've made no bones about being parents. So... (laughs) These these movies hit a lot different when I'm you're a parent. I'm just trying to figure
1: out why you just Arsenio Hall <laughs> like You did the fist pump and everything. <laughs> but here's what I don't understand about this. He hands him a toolbox and tells him there's a hammer and some roofing nails and he needs to go board up the attic. Yes. What the fuck are you going to board up with roofing nails other than shingles?
0: Don't nail all nails. I mean, I use different types of nails on everything.
1: Okay, I'm going to have to show you roofing nails sometime. <laughs> you are going to nail down shit other than shingles with a roofing nail. <laughs> And what is there to board up You heard it attic? here first, guys. Why, why would he need to seal the attic? I, it does... I don't
0: know. Maybe he assumes that Michael's going to climb up the house and sneak in through the attic?
1: What? He's going to spider monkey up the side <laughs> and come in a soffit vent
0: or it's something? Michael Myers. Okay.
1: <laughs> you actually never find out how he gets in the house, so it doesn't matter. But I just... That whole take these roof and nails and go board up the attic is fucking stupid.
0: <laughs> Deputy Logan uh, goes outside and notices that someone has definitely been in his car, but... <gasps> oh well, and goes right along.
1: Well, because the door's standing open. Yeah,
0: and now everyone is trying to fortify the house. Brady, at this point, goes to check on Rachel and Jamie and wants to know what's going on. And when they mention Michael Myers, he's like, who, did, who did that who that is which I'm like how do you how have you lived in Haddonfield I mean maybe he's not been there his whole life but it's like if you live in Haddonfield how do you not know about Michael Myers which was pretty much rachel's reaction to like 78 didn't you hear and Jamie says the kids at school were right and it's very sad and then she starts to cry so the house is now secure except that Brady still really hasn't patched up the attic but Michael as we know has definitely made it inside so Meeker is trying to use the emergency frequency on the radio to reach out to state police. Once Jamie is asleep, Rachel makes her way downstairs and asks when they can go home. And right about that time, Meeker's finally getting a response. Loomis decides to leave back for the Carruthers house, convinced that that's where Michael will be. When told he who's going to stop him, Loomis says my favorite line in the whole damn movie. Maybe no one can stop him, but I've got to try. I, I love that line. And then he just walks out the door. Door. like a badass
1: <laughs> well that's not really where I was going with that but yeah <laughs> we'll go with that so there's a, a scene there where Meeker locks the front door because he has keyed locks on the inside of the house mm-hmm. so you have to have a key to get out mm-hmm. he locks it gives it to Deputy Logan and he was like everything's secure this is the only way in or out right the door was locked Loomis walked up there opened the door and walked the fuck out <laughs> And he didn't unlock it first because Deputy Logan had the key. Right. And why would you have a keyed entry on the inside of a house? You turn it into a death trap. And this is not the first movie they've done that in. I want to say one of the nightmare movies. The first one. They had one. That shit in there. Mm-hmm. Like a keyed lock on the inside of the house.
0: Yeah, Nancy's not, mother locked her in the house. That's not up to code. You can't do that. <laughs>
1: like, if
0: your house catches on fire, you're going to die. Well, you remember when we moved into our house, we saw that London's bedroom had a door that locks from the outside. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't understand it. <laughs> like, it doesn't work.
0: Kind of makes me wonder like what the were they <laughs> that
1: lived here before? Why were you locking that door? Yeah,
0: like, it mm, kind of raises all kinds of questions.
1: But yeah, that that whole he just walks right out the door supposed to be locked. It doesn't make sense. It's not consistent. But it... you know what? They missed a pink fucking Michael Myers mask <laughs> during editing, so why wouldn't they miss that?
0: True. In the kitchen, as Kelly makes some coffee for the long night ahead, Rachel confronts her about Brady. Rachel at first tries Sorry, Kelly at first tries to deny any wrongdoing but then tells Rachel she needs to wise up to what men want, or Brady won't be the first man she loses to another woman. So honey is that really all men want is just TNA? No Girl- it's not all men want. Girls on bread?
1: That's what Joey wants. <laughs> now I will say that at, at Brady's age it probably is all he wants but at some point he'll get older and he'll find out that that woman is going to cheat on him too <laughs> and he will change his priorities and what he wants. So
0: So Rachel says, have some coffee and tosses uh, coffee at Kelly, except it doesn't look like coffee. It looks like just water.
1: Okay. So is that what you got from that? Yeah. Okay. Here's what I got from that. It's fresh coffee. Uh Uh-huh. She splashes it on her shirt. Uh Uh-huh. There's no bra underneath. Uh Uh-huh. And she's just like, you bitch. (laughs) Instead of, fuck, that's hot.
0: Yeah. So was she
1: serving him cold coffee? I don't know. Yeah. But that just, she splashes coffee on her and she's just pissed off because like, I don't know.
0: I'm angry. I'm sorry. That should have been hot ass coffee. (laughs) Anyway, carry on. So Meeker decides to chase down the mob for, I guess he's trying to radio them and he can't reach Earl or anybody. Well, he hears
1: over the radio when they're in the basement that they just killed somebody by accident. And so that's his thing. I've got to stop this.
0: Yeah. So he puts Rachel in charge of the radio. And about this time, Jamie wakes up and she's looking for Rachel and... And as you know, she's sitting there by the radio, obviously scared and hearing every creak and noise in the house. And Kelly starts going out to give out the coffee, and she thinks Deputy Logan is still sitting in a chair, rocking chair with his shotgun, but quickly
1: Well, when she lights the candle, she strikes a yeah. match and lights the candle and the whole thing, she's like trying to make small talk. Yeah. And then when she goes to light the candle, she sees the The
0: body of, body Deputy, of Logan. Deputy Logan. Yeah. And
1: apparently Michael crumpled him up like tinfoil and stuffed him in a corner. <laughs> Because all you see is like his face and what, a hand Uh or something? So like he fucked him up and nobody in that house knew it. Right. So how do you make human origami and no one (laughs) knows that that happened?
0: Well, it's very obvious. Michael drew a picture of him and then crumpled it up.
1: (laughs) That explains it. Damn. I was confused too. That clears it right up. (laughs) This shit ain't over
0: yet, bitch. (laughs) Anyway, so she turns around after discovering the body, screaming only for Michael to take the shotgun and fucking impale her ass through a door.
1: Okay, so this is supposed to be one of those, I'm going to use my most hated word, iconic kills. Mm -hmm. Even the stuntman said this was his favorite one. And was in the first one, he nails a boyfriend to the wall with a butcher knife, right? Mm -hmm. So this is kind of his thing. I pin humans to walls with objects. Right. And I'm okay with that. You do you, boo. But <laughs>
0: God, I hate that. But <laughs> I
1: hate what, that phrase. But what he doesn't do is act like Michael Myers after he does it. And this is another one of those movement things that I just hate. Yeah. When he stabs her through the torso with a shotgun, which creative, but he nails her to a door with the shotgun pointed at an upward angle. So she would have just slid right off. But that's not the point. He just like turns around and walks off. Like, I don't want that. I want that head head turn. From the first one. I want Nick Castle. Mm -hmm. I want a Nick Castle where he's like studying his handiwork kill. And then silently moves away. Mm -hmm. Not like I'm wearing my fucking tap shoes and I'm going to (laughs) stomp off of this bitch. I just, oh, it could have been so good.
0: Just then, the state police radio in to let let uh, everybody know that they'll be there in about 35 minutes. And Rachel, who's operating the radio and talking back, she looks kind of pleased with herself. I thought it was cute.
1: Oh, man, she pushed a <laughs> button and used words. She's doing good.
0: <laughs> I know, but it was just her... Oh no. You she, can tell
1: she's so proud of herself.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I said it's cute. So she goes to inform Deputy Logan of this when she too notices his body, then Kelly's and rushes off to find Jamie only to realize she's not in the room where she left her. She go she runs into brady and as they try to leave they realize that they're trapped in the house and this part always cracks me up because he tries to take his rifle and shoot at the lock and he's like it's metal and rachel goes what does that mean so
1: he shoots it and when it shows the shot of the door the lock cylinder's gone
0: yeah (laughs) it just cracks me up what does that mean i'm like he means it's made of metal
1: it means it's metal (laughs) Cause he's like, oh, it's hot, <laughs> which is funny because he shoots that and it's hot. But then I don't know, you're you're about to talk about this fight where he like baseball swings that thing by the barrel that he just fired. Yeah, that some bitch would have been hot.
0: Yeah, but he he says. It means they're trapped in the house. And then Michael shows up and Brady decides for the first time in this movie that he's going to do something useful and chivalrous and decides to defend the girls. Michael approaches as Brady tries to reload his gun and shoot. And here goes Travis fucking again.
1: Damn it. Why can't people fucking load a break action (laughs) shotgun in a movie? Like this is the second one. He does the same fumble shit that the guy does in uh, Tales from the Hood. Yeah, like
0: so whether you open it up, it's
1: it kicks the shells out. You put two in and close <laughs> it. It's not hard.
0: So whether it's uh, supernatural killer dolls or Michael Myers, nobody can fucking load a shotgun if under one pressure. One of those is
1: coming at you. You can't load a shotgun. <laughs> I can, you know what they need to do is put a pump action shotgun in one of these. Let's see somebody try to load one of those while Michael Myers is coming <laughs> at you. That would be that would be like a Charlie Chaplin movie or something. <laughs> it would be hilarious. Yeah, idiots.
0: So once Brady gets reloaded and tries to fire. Michael knocks him the hell down. Brady tries to, yeah, he tries to swing the rifle with the butt of the, the butt of the rifle and tries to throw some punches, but Michael ultimately grabs him by the head, lifting him off of his feet. Which I always love that. I always find that really impressive to see their strength. And I'm I've always kind of been unclear as to what this kill is. Like, does he crush his head? Does he? St- does he break his neck by lifting him up yeah, by the head? He's kinda got his
1: neck and you can see where he's kinda squeezing, so I don't know if he like crushes his Windpipe or yeah. what But I have an issue Okay You mentioned the strength mm-hmm. It's impressive when you see him do it But they don't have it all the time mm-hmm. Have you noticed that? Like nearly all of them Don't have that super Psycho killer strength all the time mm-hmm. Because immediately before He decides he's going to go A few rounds with uh, Michael Myers He gets Michael They're fighting over the shotgun And Michael smashes him in the face Oh one.
0: yeah yeah.
1: If Michael's strong enough To lift him up by the neck And just crush it His, his neck or his throat Or whatever with his bare hands Him Michael hitting him in the face with that shotgun should have killed him
0: right you would you would think I mean so the strength at the very least crush his fucking face like
1: sometimes they're super super strong and sometimes they're normal people yeah it seems and if they're gonna be super strong make it consistent I mean if he's gonna be fucking superman he needs to be superman all the time don't cut out that Clark Kent bullshit
0: mm-hmm.
1: I, I don't know because superman's gonna pretend he's Michael Myers he doesn't have to pretend that he's not strong <laughs> like I'm gonna fuck you up all the time so anyway,
0: Rachel and Jamie head up the stairs toward the attic and says, leave us alone. God, please leave us alone. Like she
1: stops running to, <laughs> to turn around and scream that.
0: Yeah. And I'm, I'm always waiting for Michael to be like, well, since you said, please, since you were so polite, I'm going to leave you alone
1: or just laugh at him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it just cracks me up. So they get up to the attic and escape out uh, a window up there, the one that Brady was supposed to have fucking boarded up. Well, originally the house was
1: supposed to be on fire, and that's what drove them out that right, window. right? Like the, in the script, the house was supposed to be on fire. And because we put stupid locks on the doors downstairs, you can't get out. And that was their, their path of egress was to go out the window and onto the roof. Right. But Budget wouldn't let them burn the house down, so.
0: And something else I don't understand here is that while in the attic, Michael finds his signature weapon, his trusty butcher's knife.
1: So the, okay, correct me if I'm wrong, but the the butcher knife is his signature weapon. Right. Yes. Freddy's got the claws. Jason's got the machete. The butcher knife is kind of his thing. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. He's Gordon Ramsay in the office season on season, he kills teenagers. Yes. <laughs> but he doesn't pick up his signature weapon until what we're an hour and 15 minutes or so into the movie. Like we're almost to the end mm-hmm. and then does he doesn't kill anybody with it. Yeah. Wait, he does. Does he? He does. We'll get to the truck scene in a minute because I questioned that too. So I'm wrong. I was wrong about that. Okay. But anyway, yeah. So he chases him onto the roof, which they built like a tiny house. It was only like six feet off the ground because those were like real slate tiles. Mm-hmm. So when you see her slipping and sliding, that's real shit.
0: Yeah. Because it was, the tiles were wet and they were I ice- over. And so as if, you know, as if the scene weren't stressful enough, these are not stunt people on this roof. It's the real actresses and George Wilbur up there sliding on these tiles. And that would fucking terrify me. Like that, that scene is stressful to watch.
1: Well, George Wilbur is a stunt man. So, I mean, he's used to getting paid to injure himself, but
0: if it's me, I'm like, nah, no fucking way or
1: not. And <laughs> Daniel Harris, they used turn as many of those as they could. Yeah. But the thing I don't understand about this is that maybe they didn't have air bags back then for people to land in, mm-hmm. but when we were watching the making of, did you notice that their safety net or whatever to keep, uh, if, uh, one of the actresses were to slide off the roof backs, then even though it was just six feet from the ground, still far enough you could get hurt. If you land wrong,
0: especially Danielle Harris, that that might have
1: yeah, cause she was freaking tiny. Yeah, they're instead of putting down like airbags and shit, they put stunt people around the house while they were filming it, so they could catch them when they fall off. Well, the I
0: roof. believe they did say that they had they did have a couple of those air
1: they did things, but they also had stuntmen staged around it to catch them. Yeah, it's so you can hurt two people at the same time. <laughs> Because the girl that plays uh, Rachel, I don't know, was she, 100, 110 pounds maybe? She's mm-hmm. not a big girl, falling from six feet and landing on another human. Now you just have two injured people.
0: Right. Stupid. <laughs> so the girls are climbing on the roof and a loose tile causes them to slide. And Ellie Cornell actually got injured doing this scene because she caught a stray staple and it cut her, like, all along her torso. Yep,
1: yeah, her stomach. And they, and I saw one where it said it got her hand. Too, but she, in, in the interview was at the making of Halloween Four. Mm-hmm. She said it wasn't like her guts were hanging out. Yeah, I mean it was a it was a flesh wound. Mm-hmm. But apparently she got it done and she went right back up there. Yeah, which so I
0: mean gotta give her credit because my pussy ass would have been like, ah! <laughs>
1: so. like, I'm off. I'm done for the day. <laughs> yeah, bye y'all. <laughs> be in my trailer.
0: So they try up the roof again with Michael now also on the roof. Rachel gets Jamie to, uh, she tries to send her down off the house with, looks like a antenna cable, but Michael attacks causing Rachel to fall off the roof, seemingly dead. Jamie finally gets down and that whole thing with her hanging from that cable from the house, like, I, I, I think they said they only had Daniel Harris for close-up shots and stunt person or double for the wide shots. And it looks like it might have been a dummy
1: from the fall off the roof to the end of the cable uh-huh it's probably instead of a stunt person i'm sure they didn't use daniel harris
0: yeah but oh man i like this scene was really tense to watch It was,
1: except for one thing you cannot die from falling out of a window or off a roof in a halloween movie nobody can die <laughs> from that Michael doesn't die from that. Rachel doesn't die from that. Later, Jamie Lee Curtis doesn't die from that.
0: Which one are you talking about?
1: Uh, The most recent one, right? Because didn't he throw her out the window?
0: I haven't seen 2018 very many times. No, the
1: Danny McBride version.
0: Yeah, 2018.
1: (laughs) He throws her out a window, looks away, and when he looks back, her body's gone.
0: Oh, nice callback.
1: You cannot die from falling out a window (laughs) in a Halloween movie. Good stuff.
0: So Jamie finally gets down, finding Rachel and is unable to wake her. And it's a really heartbreaking scene because, like I said, her crying is just so realistic and she's begging her to come alive, come alive, and it's really, really sad. It's an
1: odd dialogue choice, by the way. And it wasn't her <laughs> choice. I'm sure it was written that way, but...
0: She then sees Michael and starts screaming hysterically and running away, right as Rachel wakes up. Loomis finds Jamie and urges her to lead him to the school for some reason.
1: Yeah, well, so allegedly, Daniel Harris talked about this in uh, 25 Years of Terror. That when she was doing that scene, when they were filming it, I guess it was a lot longer than what it, you see in the movie of her, you know, running around screaming for help and stuff. That somebody <laughs> uh, at like four o'clock in the morning heard her, somebody in the neighborhood, and called the police. <laughs> and the police showed up. Wow. So, but apparently the story ended up in the the Inquirer <laughs> because that's a reputable news source, right? That the uh, TMZ that, of the day. <laughs> yeah, that somebody tried to kidnap her off the set. Yeah. So facts.
0: <laughs> so They make it to the school and once inside, Loomis tells J- Jamie that they're going to be safe there. But Jamie says, you don't believe that, do you? And Loomis kind of laughs. It's like, yeah. <laughs> Or no, maybe he says no, but it's it's just kind of funny the way he kind of. Even he doesn't. Like <laughs> yeah. And just then Michael shows up, throwing Loomis through a glass door. Jamie tries to escape or hide, but for some reason, when she's sat there and nothing's happened, she gets up and starts like actively looking around again through the halls, which I'm like, no, you stay and hide. <laughs> right. But well, they had
1: originally planned to shoot that scene with her hiding under a desk and Michael finds her. Yeah. And then, of course, they end up using that shot later. Halloween H2O because they didn't do it in this one.
0: Yeah, which I thought was really cool.
1: So no matter how much they say this movie's not canon or whatever, Mm -hmm. they always use shit from the other Halloween movies in in the rest of the Halloween movies. It's nuts.
0: Right. She sees Michael and starts running again, falling down some stairs and trying to crawl away. Michael then grabs her by the ankle, but Rachel shows up just in the nick of time and blasts him with a fire extinguisher. As they run outside, the mob finally shows up with intent to kill, but the girls encourage them to leave and let the state police handle it, and they concur.
1: (laughs) Well, it's so she comes out, Rachel does, uh, Carrie and Jamie, and they're like, Michael Myers is here, or my, he's inside. And one of the guys goes, Where? <laughs> Well, clearly he's at the 7-Eleven down the street. That's the reason we just ran out of the school. It's just a stupid exchange. I, I get it. Like, kind of like, is, what
0: does that mean? Here's the deal. This
1: is not the worst script of any Halloween movie. Oh, But it's got some God. major like dialogue issues.
0: Well, at least it's not, bitch. I will come over there and skull fuck the shit out but, of you. But, I mean,
1: if you look at these rednecks, <laughs> they might not have known that was a school. Maybe they've never been. <laughs> Big Earl may have never gone. Who knows? (laughs) Yeah.
0: So they get the girls in the truck and are driving away from Haddonfield right as the state police are starting to arrive in town. We then see Michael climb out from under the truck somehow. He's been there. I don't, I don't know when, but he climbs out from under the truck, killing the men in the back.
1: So this is where I was wrong. Cause I was thinking he gets the butcher knife and never kills anybody. He still got it in his hand. Cause I remember I questioned that when we watched it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, so he was, how was he holding the knife while he was clinging to the bottom of this truck? Gotcha. Because Earl was driving like an idiot.
0: Well, but somehow. They had to get the fuck out.
1: He managed to hang onto that knife, climb over the tailgate and kill what? Three rednecks with it? And then throw Well, one of them probably didn't die. Cause one of them, he just threw him off off the side, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So the one that was totally oblivious to his other two friends getting murdered right next to him.
0: <laughs> we then get Michael's hand crashing through Earl's window, grabbing him by the jaw and just about ripping his fucking head off. Sick ass kill. It's well, great.
1: And this was one of the extra shots, right? Uh-huh. That they had Beekler come in and, and do.
0: Yeah. So Rachel then jumping to action, dumps Earl's body out of the truck and the theme begins to, the Halloween theme begins to pound out. And it's great. As Michael is trying so hard to get Rachel she slams on the brakes throwing him onto the road. She He gets up as he does and she stomps on the gas running him over and knocking him into the woods.
1: So on the original script they were going to have her run over him five times. Mm-hmm. When they did the shooting they did three and by the time they get finished cutting it was that one shot of her hitting him with the truck. I don't know that I, I just you know yeah. something that came to mind because I, I wrote it down.
0: So Meeker and a bunch of other cops show up and Rachel tells Jamie to wait inside the truck while she goes and talks to him. And funny anecdote here. I remember watching it in particular, this scene of Jamie kind of popping up in the truck to look and she's got her little eyebrow cocked. She has this this expression with her eyebrows that she always does a lot and all throughout her career. And I remember you telling me, Oh my God, she looks just like your sister. So I've never been able to unsee that ever. And now it's annoying. I'm sorry. I mean, she does. With the exception of maybe their hair, look identical to her when they were kids. Yeah,
1: and they don't now, but well, if see, you look at pictures of your sister when she was that age and Daniel Harris, they look similar.
0: Well, see, in my opinion, even now, they look very similar. Like, not identical, but some of their features are still exactly the same. So, yeah, just i was like, damn you, Travis, well, for I'm telling sorry, me that.
1: I ruined that for you. <laughs>
0: but we see that Jamie has now left the truck and gone over to Michael's body and she grabs his hand. Like, I don't know why. In- inspecting it, or
1: I this part didn't make sense, and it's not yeah. that she didn't do a good job acting it. This whole movie, she's been absolutely terrified of him mm-hmm. till now. Now he's knocked down. I'm gonna go touch him.
0: Well, maybe she thought he was dead. I mean, anyone else fucking would be. So it stands yeah, but to you're reason to go
1: over there and check for a pulse, are you?
0: <laughs> I wouldn't.
1: I don't know. To me, this scene just doesn't make sense.
0: Yeah, Michael slowly starts to get up, and they tell Jamie to get to get away, and she takes off running. And the cops then blast Michael... To Kingdom Come, knocking him down a well thing. <laughs> yeah.
1: So they activated their infinite ammo cheat. <laughs> yeah, and and like uh, the sheriff, that shotgun he uses is allegedly a, a SPAS-12, which is the same one that Arnold used in Terminator, mm-hmm. the first Terminator, when he shot up the police station. I don't know. I didn't go back and watch Terminator to find out. <laughs>
0: That's that's like the third time we've referenced Arnold in this movie.
1: Well, he he came up with a movie <laughs> the same year that was better than this one. So just saying, A couple because I would even say Twins is probably better than this one.
0: We yeah. will get to
1: Twins. Are we gonna do Twins? No,
0: <laughs> I was gonna say. Oh my god, I'm such a fucking dumbass. Please ass.
1: tell me I get to review one with Danny DeVito and Arnold <laughs> in it.
0: No, I was going to say, don't worry, we're going to be doing Predator 2 soon enough, only to remember, that's Danny Glover, you fucking idiot. Yeah, you know he's not
1: in that. And we'll (laughs) we'll answer the question, is
0: Danny Glover a good actor? I
1: don't know.
0: You just shut your whore mouth.
1: Yeah, all these guys with shotguns, they never reload. The highest capacity shotgun I've seen with a magazine tube is like six rounds. You might get it to eight. Yeah. These guys shoot forever, like forever.
0: I'm so glad you're an expert on this stuff. How would I ever know?
1: Well, now you know. (laughs) knowing is half the battle
0: (laughs) i won't say yeah
1: i'm i I don't understand this well like they call it a well but when he falls through the boards the opening's huge and then it collapses like a damn sinkhole see
0: i was always under the impression that it was like a mine shaft or something the way it
1: falls in it looks more like a mine shaft than a well i
0: mean i know that they're typically vertical from the ground but yeah that's what it looked like to me like you're gonna go into that fucking donkey kong mine shaft when you fall in yeah, I mean, there's just a hard fucking there, level, by the way. There's
1: mines out there with a, a vertical shaft like that, but it—I don't—I didn't get well from this because of the size of the opening. Uh-huh. It just didn't didn't feel right. Yeah. They could have called it a mine shaft, and I would say, okay, you call it a well, and I'm like, ah, uh, is it really? You know.
0: Yeah. But well, it, it's big enough to throw a little girl in.
1: So. But, uh, Right before he falls in, Michael, and and the way he looks. And this is, I had a problem with this through the whole movie. Apparently, neither of the actors were big enough. They were tall enough Mm -hmm. to play Michael because they wanted somebody over six foot. Mm-hmm. And I think Tom Morga was like one, and...
0: George Wilbur.
1: George Wilbur was like 6'2", so mm-hmm. they were both pretty big guys. But they were both relatively thin, mm-hmm. so they put hockey pads on underneath that jumpsuit. And there's a couple of scenes...
0: <laughs> Is it wrong that I just went to Batman? I'm not wearing hockey pads!
1: Yeah. Yeah, but like, you can tell on the shoulders, and in a lot of times when he moves, like when he kills Brady... Yeah. And he lifts his arm. You can see the damn shoulder pad. It's like, it's it's 80s blazer shoulder pads <laughs> under there. Well, and- it, was, it was hockey, but...
0: This is the problem that I, just, I have with this, okay? Nick Castle was not a big guy. He was tall and he was thin. It didn't matter. He didn't have big muscles or anything like that. He doesn't have to have big muscles. No. Like, we don't We don't get to impressive, built like a brick shit house Michael Myers until Rob Zombie.
1: And the thing is, if they had stayed with a, a tall Michael Myers but of average build mm-hmm. through the whole series, I could have lived with that. Yeah. Again, he's... It's like, so that Friday the 13th ripped off the first Halloween, Mm -hmm. like almost scene for scene, right? I, I think we saw that in an interview where they were like, so do that, but with this okay and then as, as halloween goes along it's like they're trying to catch up to friday right you know what i mean
0: well they they i think that was part of the reasoning for upping the gore in halloween 2 was because of friday the 13th's popularity
1: right. so as jason Voorhees gets bigger michael myers gets bigger huh you know what i mean like more muscular and they keep going after bigger and bigger and bigger actors
0: i guess i hadn't noticed that
1: so because like jason which one which one was it that came out the, i i haven't said it then was it the new blood it was this year i'm not sure anyway but they had, had to been getting, by 88 they had started getting bigger guys to do yeah. it. Bulkier guys. Mm-hmm. And so when they come up with this one, well, these guys are not big, so we got to put hockey pads on them to make them look bigger. Yeah. But again, Jason is supposed to be the tank. Yeah. Michael's supposed to be the sneaky one. So I don't... It doesn't make sense. And for me, it kind of takes me out of the movie a little bit when clearly the, that bat suit's got nipples on it.
0: <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Sick reference, bro. <laughs> yeah.
1: I didn't, I didn't care for that.
0: Your references are out of control and everyone knows it.
1: Yeah, but you know the references. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So we finally get back to the Carruthers Caruth- house and the girls are back home safe and all appears to be back to normal in the world. But Rachel is in fucking shambles at the at the end of the night. Like, she's just fucking wrecked. I mean, deservedly so because of everything she's had. She
1: fell ha- off a roof. I mean, yeah. Two stories. She fell off a roof. And now, granted, it won't kill you. Apparently, but it will make you very tired.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure she sustained other injuries throughout the knife, so, the knife, the night. So yeah, she's in rough shape.
1: She spent a good portion of her night running and carrying a child. Right. So she's not, she's not going to be spry. Like, I point. don't
0: think I can carry Isabel who weighs nothing five yards without having to stop and breathe. <laughs> Mrs. Carruthers then decides that Jamie needs to get a bath. She's, you know, covered in blood and all that. Rachel, however, does not deserve a bath for she some reason. She's equally
1: covered in blood and dirt.
0: <laughs> But we then see the classic Michael POV shot making its way through the upstairs approaching Mrs. Carruthers at the bathtub. We cut to the bottom of the stairs where we hear Mrs. Carruthers screaming her head off. Loomis immediately goes to the bottom of the stairs and everybody catches up to him and we then see Loomis also start screaming, no. We cut to Jamie at the top of the stairs with her mask pulled down holding a pair of bloody scissors up in the air. Loomis then attempts to shoot her but Meeker stops him before he can so loomis stands there continuing to scream as jamie once again raises her scissors the evil survived baby yeah. black
1: yeah and but so did you notice that Meeker stops loomis from shooting him takes the gun away and then when he looks upstairs he points the gun up the stairs too
0: Mm-hmm. so travis <sighs> i don't like light of my life what do you think of halloween four
1: skip it <gasps> Oh, it doesn't
0: rude. It doesn't rude. do
1: anything to advance the story. And here's here's the thing: if you if you want to watch Halloween, watch the first two and and call it a day. Now, again, I, I want to revisit the Rob Zombies, not here, but at some point I need to rewatch those. I think the the ones that uh, Danny McBride is doing, at least the one that he's done so far, mm-hmm. is good. Well, I, uh,
0: to be fair, he only wrote that. David Gordon Green directed those.
1: Well, whichever, it's a good story, and it goes right off of number two, right, or just number no, one. just
0: number one, right
1: off of number one yeah now, don't get me wrong we watched it the other day and it's still got some issues with continuity i guess maybe not continuity but consistency it's I, I just, not a
0: perfect movie it's
1: not perfect it does have i have some issues with some of the things that are in it but I, again i feel like part four is sort of the beginning of the end for the original six halloween movies or whatever right mm-hmm. they don't get better after this regardless of what their financial box office performance looks like they didn't
0: or how we as an audience feel about them personally
1: yeah, I, You can like it without it being a good film. I mean, come on. I, I like Army of Darkness. It's hilarious. Doesn't make it a great movie, but I love it.
0: It is a great movie, though.
1: Well, okay. Uh, Bubba <laughs> Hotep. I like Bubba Hotep. I've made you sit through it one time. You did like it. And it's not a good movie, but I like it. I like it because Bruce Campbell's in it, but that doesn't make it a good movie. I'm
0: just finding it strange so that that's the example you used.
1: Because it's vague. So, <laughs> and people are going to wonder, what the fuck is that, and go watch it. But you should, because it's got Bruce Campbell in it. So, it's... I just I don't feel like it does anything to advance the story if if I'm gonna watch Halloween I want to be I don't wanna I'm, I can't believe I'm gonna say it like a John Carpenter purist sort of I feel like
0: <sighs> the damn Halloween fanboys you guys are the bane of my existence no I'm not
1: a fanboy <laughs> about it it's just that if I'm gonna have to watch one and I feel like the story makes sense the way people react makes sense the shooting makes sense I like Michael Myers in it I like the way he moves the way he's portrayed that's it and maybe it's just because that's the first one I saw I just don't feel like any of the ones in these measure up now we'll see say that uh what's his name don shanks that does michael in number five is better than the two guys we got here a little bit a little bit now still I'm,
0: go- I'm gonna sound like a fangirl here but mm, there's no replacing nick castle for me
1: well, that's what i was gonna say for me nick castle is michael myers
0: now i will say that tyler main made a badass Michael Myers. He did. In that universe.
1: Yes. He would not work in John Carpenter's Halloween. No, 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 no. Because again, it's, it's, we're, we're trying to keep up with the giant ass guys that they had playing, mm-hmm. uh, Jason Voorhees. Right. Right. That's what that's about. So how big a fucking guy can we get to do these? And that's, I don't know.
0: So I find it funny, okay, Halloween has never been our franchise. For me, I'm a Hellraiser girl through and through, and Travis has always been a Jason guy. But up until recently, when we decided to tackle this series, Travis, you've been converted a little bit.
1: I like I like the Halloween movies, sort of. When I say this one, you could probably skip it. It's because after you watch this one, you're gonna you're gonna be like, so what happens now, right? It's not totally tied off. You still got Rachel, who is actually supposed to die in this one, and they changed it to killing her mother instead. How does it go? And you're gonna watch number five, you're gonna be really disappointed.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And then
1: you're gonna be like, okay, so how do they fix this? I need to watch number six, which is not called number six. It's called Curse of Michael Myers or whatever. Right. And it doesn't get better. It does not improve on this one. It doesn't really answer questions. I don't know when they we, we watched the thing on on number five and basically the guy that directed it was like fuck it we're gonna do this stuff to do the movie and it's somebody else's problem after the fact, right?
0: Yeah, he was.
1: So if you're gonna watch eccentric number
0: eccentric to say the least, you
1: can't watch number six expecting it to fix anything that you found a problem with in four or five. If you're gonna watch it, you're gonna watch it for Paul Rudd because he's like <laughs> the best Tommy Doyle, I, really.
0: Paul Rudd's just the best, period.
1: And it's just... I don't know. I don't feel like you lose anything by missing these. And if you watch the new ones, even the Rob Zombie version, you're not missing anything by not seeing these films. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, if you're going to watch it, you need to watch it because you just like Halloween and you want to see Michael Myers. But you don't need to to watch them thinking, I'm going to miss something if I don't, because you really aren't.
0: I think that's why these are divvied off as the Thorn trilogy, because this whole three series, three movies have nothing to do with the three that preceded it.
1: Well, they say that, but then they always reference them, even though they're content is so out there. Yeah. But we're going to continue to reference these first two movies. Yeah. And that doesn't make sense to me. But I still think
0: it's funny that you kind of changed your mind a little bit and you could appreciate this character a little more. Like, I remember us going to see the movie that I pretend doesn't exist anymore, Halloween Resurrection, and... What movie is that? That's The Buster Rhymes.
1: I don't think I know that one.
0: (laughs) You are so full of shit.
1: My memory, I've blocked that one off. (laughs) That's a painful memory that I don't want to remember.
0: But I remember distinctly there was a scene where he was going to Jamie Lee Curtis's room in the asylum and he just walked through the door, like busted through it, and you were like, oh my god! Yeah, and that's when
1: you turn it off. (laughs) That's the end of the movie, right there. It's a 15-minute movie.
0: But, so, we're probably going to dress up this year. Um, I'm going to, we're, we're doing a theme. We're, we're doing Friday the 13th, and I I will be a camp counselor this year, and Travis will be Jason. But you originally wanted to be Michael. I
1: did. And t- okay, listen. <laughs> you can get a cheap Michael Myers mask, but then it looks like the Michael Myers mask that they used in Part 4, <laughs> which looks like they made it out of plaster or Paris and a small animal. they're they're really bad if you get a good one i'm just not gonna spend that kind of money on a damn mask i mean let's be honest it's a prop after i wear it one time but
0: it's a fucking awesome prop prop prop
1: yeah i just can't justify
0: and i want it so listeners and i'm cheap as hell you need to be emailing and tweeting travis and tell him buy his wife that fucking mask i don't check my twitter you know this
1: (laughs) but yeah i don't know and maybe that's unfair Maybe I would say that if you treat four, five, and six the same way you treat number three, or the way number three should have been, take the Halloween name off of it. Mm -hmm. If you took these, just change the mask on Michael Myers so it's not Michael Myers. Take the Halloween name off of it and make this a standalone trio. I could probably live with it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. But when you tie it back to the original the way they did, even though they said they weren't going to, and put Michael Myers in it, Put the Halloween tag on it. I expect it to make sense for those first two. And none of the, the next three that I'm going to have to fucking suffer through do. They just
0: don't. So I always do the thing. And maybe it's because I tend to look at the series with rose colored glasses. Again, Halloween's not my favorite franchise. I, I've admitted that openly. But even in the bad films, I can still find some merit in each one. Whether it's a particular scene or an action Michael does or a kill. I can usually, even in parts five and six, I can usually find something that I like in that movie. So I don't know. <laughs>
1: it's not that there's nothing I like. Don't get me wrong about that. It's not that there's nothing I like in this movie. I think Daniel Harris's uh, performance as a tiny actor—it's
0: amazing. It's great. Mm-hmm.
1: Donald Pleasance is always good. Yes. I feel like he gets a little over the top. Mm, more so in the next entry. He gets worse in the next one. <laughs> but Donald Pleasance is always good. Yes. I can't point to this one because like sometimes i'll fall back on effects and go yeah the movie was shit but at least the effects were good i can't say that about this one
0: i don't know that throat ripping scene was pretty fucking awesome
1: okay but they brought Beekler in specifically to do those two like yeah. he did i don't think he did the whole movie
0: i no, i don't they think brought so him either. specifically to add gore yeah
1: so the two best effects in the movie were him mm-hmm. outside of the two kills that he did i mean what do you really have left so the effects there wasn't there wasn't great. many kills I mean I like it that the POV was there, you know, mm-hmm. when, when Michael's stalking people. Um, I like it that they used that when Jamie was was going to kill her mm-hmm. foster mother or mm-hmm. whatever. I don't know. I try to think trying to think of are there specific shots that they used that I thought, man, that's really good. Like season of witch, right? Mm-hmm. The, the kids walking along the hillside. It's, it's you know exactly what movie that is. It's a beautiful shot. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's some shots in the original Halloween that I can't name right now because my brain doesn't work. Do <laughs> you think man that's really good. Oh yeah. I can't That Panavision it. I can't find one in this movie. Yeah. So I can't point out the effects. I can't say that cinematography is awesome. Outside of two actors, the acting is not wonderful. It's not terrible, but it's not like a trauma movie either, you know? Yeah. It's just sort of a bland movie, I guess. Maybe that's it. Hmm.
0: Okay. Well, my what opinion do you think? My opinion differs, obviously. Is this my favorite Halloween? No. Obviously, OG is my favorite. And I, uh, every year around this time, I like to watch the first two back to back. Part three immediately comes after that as uh, being right up there, as we established last week. But I enjoy part four. You know, everybody said it was about getting back to the the basics and... With some exceptions, I really do feel like they were honestly trying to capture that spirit. Was it completely reminiscent? No, but I there were so many things about it I did enjoy. It's it's such an atmospheric movie, and I guess that's one of the things I enjoy about it so much. Is is you're you're right there in it, or at least you feel like you are to me. And I do love the performances in this film. You know, obviously Daniel Harris and uh, Donald Pleasance, and I would say both star also being the stand. Else. Like I said, I enjoyed him better than Sheriff Brackett. Like I said, I know that's that's that's, that's well, a tough
1: you, you can buy him <laughs> being a hard say. ass, and with Brackett, yeah. you just never. Yeah. He couldn't sell it.
0: No, Meeker Meeker but, was a full-on badass. Bo Star did
1: a good job as is. Yeah. Like, when he says he's going to use the shotgun on Brady, I believe him.
0: Right. Like, I was just like, go home, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's totally cool. And I enjoyed that he was brought back for part five as well. So, yeah, this... I enjoy this movie a lot. Like I said, it's not my favorite, but I do get a sense of enjoyment out of it more so than... Later entries, of course. So yeah, I'm sure if, if you're here, you've seen it probably. If you haven't and you're a completionist like I am, watch it. It's it's still a good time and the characters are compelling enough. The story is compelling enough and despite its continuity and st- in uh, story errors, it's it's still a good watch. So I encourage you to go ahead and watch it.
1: Yeah, I guess if you're going to watch it, just so you can say you've watched them all.
0: <laughs> Gotta watch them all. Yeah,
1: catch them damn Pokemon. <laughs> but again, and, and I think one of the other things, the issue that I have with the Halloween series as a whole is that they didn't get a Michael Myers and stick with it. You know what I mean? Like they should have used Nick Castle. Well,
0: he went lot. off to become a director and a successful one from what I understand. So. I get
1: that. But you know, one of the things that I like about Friday the 13th, series is what when did when did kane hodder take over and part I some seven people don't like kane hodder's jason
0: well, they're wrong.
1: But <laughs> I do, because I think I probably saw those before I saw the other ones, because that was my age group, I guess. And I think he's your favorite, Jason. So those are yes. probably the first ones Without you showed me. Without
0: question. Uh he get... He's not the one I started with.
1: No, but I think that's where I started, though. Mm-hmm. And for me, like you watch Nightmare on Elm Street, you get Robert England the whole way. Right. Freddy's one way the whole time.
0: Well, except to that shitty remake.
1: Yeah, but for every every one of them, it's always Robert England mm-hmm. until you get to the remakes. And he's always Robert England being Freddy the whole time. Right. So, you get that consistency in in your title character's behavior.
0: And up to a point, same with Doug Bradley.
1: Yes, yes, with him too. Um, The writing may be, Mm -hmm. depending on which movie we're watching in any of those series. Right. But they act the same, they move the same. That actor
0: always brings it no matter which film it is. They bring that
1: character to life. Yes. And as much as people would disagree with me, I feel like Kane Hodder kind of brought Jason to life. Yeah. Like you get, I think he moves the best. Yes. His behaviors, the mannerisms that he gives.
0: And he's just fucking intimidating. And
1: eventually they abandoned him for somebody bigger because right? we got to get somebody bigger. Ugh. But and in Halloween, it's a different Michael every time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And maybe it's because I saw Nick Castle do it first. That's how I expected him to always be. And so when you get somebody on screen that's not that way, it takes me out.
0: It's a hard performance to top. It
1: truly is. If you think about these type of characters, they're not going to change. They're psychopaths, serial killers, zombies, dream demons, whatever they are. They're going to be consistent in their behavior. So you need a, an actor to portray them consistently the same way.
0: And, and guys, I, I have stated multiple times now that Halloween's not my favorite, but that's not me discrediting the original in any way. The, oh my God, the, there's a reason why it's everybody's favorite that movie is fucking scary. It's beautifully shot and it's it's iconic. It just is. I mean, from everything, jo- John Carpenter made a truly perfect horror movie. And I'm not... Just because it's not my favorite series doesn't mean that I am denying those facts in any way.
1: Well, Halloween as a series is just another example of them taking a good idea and running it straight into the ground. Yeah. He did it right the first time. They really...
0: They either needed to yeah. let him
1: continue doing what he was going to do, or they just needed to stop.
0: Yeah, there was a reason he wanted to quit. That movie was tied up perfectly. Yeah,
1: So, and I would go this far as to say, even though I've talked a lot of shit about Rob Zombie's movies, I think his remakes are still better than 4, 5, and 6. <laughs> 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 they are. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I can agree with you on that point. If you just want to say you've watched them all, if you feel like it's going to add something to the experience, then okay. But for me, I don't know. If I'm going to watch them, I'll I'll watch one of the new ones that Danny McBride wrote, or I will watch the original. Not even so much number two. I can just watch the first one and be be content with that, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, part one ends on this note that's just it's it's indescribable, really. You you know you cut to Michael being gone, and yet you feel his presence all around, even though he's nowhere to be seen. And you just hear his Darth Vader breathing, like it's fucking scary as hell. Yeah, I remember I, leaving that movie and just being like, Oh my and, god! <laughs> and I know
1: I have spoken against ambiguous endings,
0: right? Give me an ending. I I can live with that one. Yeah. I'm okay with that one. Yeah. I don't know why. If they never did part two, I don't think it would have affected me. If they if this had just been a standalone movie, I mean, yeah, Th- there's a reason it's a classic.
1: Yeah. And you know what? If, if they'd really ended it there and not done another one with Michael Myers in it, I think probably at some point I would be like, okay, I need to know what happened now, mm-hmm. you know? But I think if you look at what they did do <laughs> since they didn't stop there, I would be more satisfied with an ambiguous ending than the trash that came after. That's That's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. So watch it if you feel like you have to. That's my opinion.
0: It's good. Watch it. <laughs> and on that note, guys, we're going to let you go. But first, I want to give my quick shout out to our content creator of the week. And this week, um, it's going to go to YouTuber 616 Entertainment. And Travis and I kind of actually had a blast watching this guy in preparation for this month's videos. He does these extensive extensive series on all topics from wrestling to video games to now Halloween. And he's gone every month for a few months now covering the entirety of the Halloween franchise. And it's an amazing watch. It's a very long watch, but so worth it because he gave details that I had never heard with all of the documentaries. I've watched everything that I've read. He still managed to have stuff that I had never heard of before.
1: Yeah, some of the stuff he's asked, like, I did not find that. I need to go research that. I got to fact check that. Mm-hmm. So, but, but. it's good. It's a very, it's a very detailed overview.
0: Yeah. And I first found him because he did, if you're a big uh, nerd like I am, he also did an extensive... Uh, history of Mortal Kombat, the the games, the game series, not the movie series, which is also such a good watch. I think it's like four hours long. It's very good. And he did one over the Resident Evil game series also. So check the guy out. He's funny as hell, very informative. I, I know I say that better everybody, but I, I like hearing everybody's individual takes on stuff. And it's even better if they know what the fuck they're talking about. And this guy clearly knew what the hell he was talking about. He treated it with respect and care if as somebody who adores the series. Yeah, so but it's even great. he doesn't care for four, five and six. <laughs> He liked four, actually. I think it was just five and six he massively shit on. But yeah, go check him out. Like I said, 616 Entertainment on YouTube. And next week, we are going to be covering the dreaded fucking part five, The Revenge of Michael Myers. I'm going to talk so much
1: shit when we do that one. Yeah,
0: I, I know. Just, it's coming. I know you
1: like slashers, but <laughs> just buckle up, buttercup.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's I, pretty bad. gonna <laughs> watch
1: it and take <laughs> notes.
0: <laughs> like, <laughs>
1: I'm not probably going to have anything nice to say about
0: it at all. So, uh, apart from Daniel Harrison Loomis.
1: If you're going to yeah. tune in and listen to that one and you love part five, I'm sorry. <laughs> not
0: sorry. <laughs> all right, guys. We're going to take off. Adios. Bye. Hello, Deadites. Quick reminder that you can find us on the interwebs. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as Spooky Mom 83 and Travis on Twitter as TravisL80, and find our official page on Instagram and Twitter at Dead and Married. If you have any questions or suggestions for us, email us at Dead at Yahoo.com. See ya! And Loomis tells Miko. Miko.
1: <laughs> Good job.
0: <laughs> deteputy te- de- is deteputy word.
1: <laughs> it could be.
0: <laughs> Sorry.